Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Brother Date Star Trek's edition. I'm Matthew. I'm Judah. Let's perp. Time to perp <laughs> time up in perp. here. Uh, <sighs> yeah, it's yet another one of these. It's a Star Trek week. It's fucking week eighty-eight. Crazy eighty-eight. Um, as always, Voyager's leading off because they did a they did something they should have been ashamed of last week. Yeah. They this actually, week we watched... Uh, no, wait. Hold on. They have a lot of growing up to do. Vis-a-vis was not a good episode. <laughs> there. Now you can continue. It wasn't that good. But I mean... You're, but you got a lot of mileage out of the character of Steph <laughs> on your Twitter feed. It's true. Uh, yeah. Last week Voyager was uh, fourth place. This week we watched the Omega Directive. something as midnight directives by owen pallet I-, I wish this was a video pod because you would have seen me busting some fucking moves <laughs> everybody put your kirins in the air <laughs> it's perp night <laughs> um i did i hear a lyric uh, i traded my daughter framboise for a man named obama <laughs> no but <laughs> that would be cool <laughs> Uh, uh, okay. <clears throat> Seven wakes up and goes to pick up Harry for their dumb engineering assignment. On the way, the whole ship breaks. Nobody can do anything until Janeway comes into the bridge and uh, she punches in what appears to be two buttons. It's like when you're at Safeway and someone fucked up and they need a manager to come by with a little override card. Yeah, or uh, 100% of the time you try to self-check out. And or one hundred percent of the time, yeah. Uh, she cryptically says she'll have instructions for everybody soon, and we go to credits. Janeway seals her ready room and uh, unlocks a file in her computer called Omega One. <laughs> the computer orders her to go check out the Omega phenomenon, which has been detected nearby. Computer's real uppity in this one. Um. Chakotay barks out orders to confused and aggravated Balana, Seven, and Teepee. The mention of an Omega Directive perks up Seven, who is immediately told to go see Janeway. Um, they, they butt heads again because Janeway has orders to neutralize Omega, whatever that is. We haven't really been told at this point. 
no matter the cost, but Seven wants to harness it like the Borg taught her to. Still, Seven agrees to help Janeway eliminate the shit. <clears throat> Harry and Tuvok are building a powerful spatial charge, I guess, to blow up Omega. Harry wants to gossip about what might be happening, and of course Tuvok is not into that idea. Uh, Janeway gives Chakota his orders. He's to wait for her and Seven to return from their shuttle mission. And if um, he detects a big old explosion, he's to get out of town right away. He convinces her to let the senior staff help out so they have a big old staff meeting. So I guess all the privacy stuff is over. Yeah. Well, he says that she's his best friend, so... <laughs> Guilts her at into At that it. point, she's kind of she's trapped. He said, who am I supposed to build a tub for? Tuvok? You know we don't get along. <laughs> Janeway makes everybody double pinky swear not to talk about what, what's about to happen. Uh, Omega is a really cool molecule. Sometimes they say particle. I don't know what the proper terminology would be. That a Starfleet scientist developed like a hundred years ago, but he whoopsied it. And that entire area of the quadrant got fucked up in a subspace kind of way. Yeah, just like that environmental episode from Season 7 that we'll eventually get to. Yeah, like you can't do a warp there anymore. Uh, the same could happen here, but on a larger scale, because they detected way more of these molecules. Uh, Janeway goes to chat with Seven and finds her working on a way to better contain the shit so that maybe they wouldn't have to immediately blow it up or something. Uh, despite the conversations they've all had about how dangerous it is, Janeway helps her out. And then they find the origin of the problem, a field of debris on an M-class moon that used to be an outpost. Uh, there are still survivors they're detecting, so Janeway assembles her rescue team, and they find uh, a living scientist <clears throat> who points them toward the test chamber, you know, over there, mm -hmm. where they may be able to find Omega. When Tuvok says that um, busting into that chamber would be a violation of the Prime Directive, but not beaming over and chatting with them, I guess. Janeway declares the Prime Directive rescinded for the duration of this mission. Uh, there's a lot that happens in this episode where they really want you to know how fucking important this is. Yeah. Seven is giving orders to a bunch of engineers and Harry Kim, and she's, like, giving them all designations. Like, Harry Kim's six of ten in this scene. And Harry doesn't like it. He's getting real... He's getting a lot of attitude, probably because nobody understands where she fits into the fucking power <laughs> structure on this ship. Um, But she physically pushes him out of the way and demotes him to two of ten. Yeah. <laughs> And he understands that to be a demotion. So maybe there was a scene we didn't see where she explained. That 10 of 10 is the best. <laughs> number one, six out of 10. Number two, four of 10. That's <laughs> almost as good as six of 10. Number three, one of 10. Yep. Um, Seven goes to sickbay and grills the uh, surviving scientist. She tells him her mission is to eliminate the particles and this guy says that they made them because their civilizations just fucking plumb out of energy uh he also warns that his people are sending reinforcements i'm not sure how he knows that at this point and that they will definitely stop voyager so as usual there's going to be some shooting uh janeway finds that there is too damn much omega and they won't be able to blow it all up with what they have prepared 
they'll have to use Seven's crazy chamber. So she and Tuvok chat about um, how far science should be allowed to go. That happened there. Yep. Seven tries to convince Chaco to let her keep Omega as her new pet. She even begs him, playing off his spirituality and saying she'll never be complete if she doesn't try to make this Omega last, I guess. <laughs> I don't know what she plans to do with it, other than make it, like, stable. She wants to peer into that little <laughs> She uh, wants to look through the viewport. Little... Yes. Yeah. And see it turn yeah. into, like, a cool pearl necklace or something and go, Con- oh! Contemplate the infinite. Yeah. Uh, they quickly beam up the molecules or particles or whatever. Uh, they're tailed by two alien vessels. And for some reason, the aliens are faster at subwarp. So um, they can't just go away from them. Oh, they're probably heavy. Voyage is probably real heavy from all those Omegas. They're carrying a lot of Omegas at this point. Janeway goes to C7 so they can uh, have another fight about whether to kill Omega or keep it. Seven basically threatens to do it anyway, just do what she wants, but she does eventually back down. Uh, they're about to blow up the, or they're about to blow the chamber into space and destroy it, but the aliens catch up, and when Voyager refuses to turn over the molecules, the aliens start shooting. The molecules spontaneously stabilize. I guess you had to <laughs> shake them. Maybe they didn't um, think of that, shaking them. That, or maybe it was the power of Seven's faith. <laughs> could be i don't know janeway would probably shrug if you if you brought it up just plausible as anything uh and again they make a big pretty jewel for seven to look at and then the shit is jettisoned and destroyed duvok reports no traces of omega and janeway declares mission accomplished seven looks dejected in the back of the room janeway finds seven in da vinci's workshop staring at jesus you get it anyway what's this one about yeah <laughs> Uh, okay, this one fucks around in kind of two areas. Yeah. Number one, the final frontier has some limits, slash there are things mankind was not meant to know. Right. We've got this technology that cannot be allowed to proliferate. It's kind of like nuclear weapons, except... Um, different. <laughs> it's different. It's not going to kill anyone, but it is definitely going to mess up some economies to not have warp travel anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, Ryza's going to go down right away, right? Well, Jesus, if it gets all the way out to Ryza... They gotta be importing all their shit. Um, yeah, we learn a lot about what how RISA works in a later DS9. Oh, okay, cool, cool, it's cool. not a great time. Uh, anyway, this is kind of anti-science and anti-Star Trek. Number two, area number two that they're fucking around in. How far would you go in search of religious truth or insight? Hmm. Uh, it is a question without a resolution. Yeah, I mean, Seven really just asks a few people. Yeah. Seven Can tries, I, tries to convince everybody ultimately does agree to destroy the particles and I guess is rewarded by getting a glimpse of how, oh, what if we just, what if we took a bunch of Omega molecules, which previously we could not even manufacture, and arranged them into the shape of another bigger Omega molecule? <laughs> like a big fractal. Sure. And uh, that gives her, that's one to think about for her. That's one to grow on. Uh, neither of these has the possibility of scoring high. One, because it's, again, anti-science and anti-Star Trek. Uh, and number two, because uh, it's a question without an answer. So I'm awarding it three points for the take, and you can decide which one you think it was. <laughs> That's fair. Well, I think Ben and I are both playing in the same space, which is the first one you were talking about. So Ben says, 
The price of knowledge is sometimes too high. He says it's a Garden of Eden parable with seven as Science Eve. So he went both. He went science and religion, actually. Um, and he gave that a four. I said some some experiments are too powerful to mess with. It's not scientific. There are definitely practical matters of safety that you have to prioritize over research. But like, what's the point? I don't know. I don't know what the point is. So it's just a four for me. And I was like, what do we do with this one, huh? Yeah. Do yeah. we do we ledge it? Do are we supposed to contact our legislators and tell them, hey, we, hey, can you guys uh, rain stop doing all that in science. a little bit, please? Yeah. What do they want me to do? Stop testing the model glue, the model glue experiments that I'm always doing in my home. <laughs> exactly. I'm I'm not gonna stop. I don't care how many shirts <laughs> I break. Should sixth graders no longer test which laundry detergent gets stains out the best? <laughs> Is that what you're saying, huh, Voyager? Um, execution. it's like a more Star Trek approach to this would be that there's some way to meet the needs of humanity or other civilizations so that this doesn't get weaponized, that there's some way to do this research safely or learn to mitigate the consequences or something. But the idea that it's just... Destroy it at all costs. It has to be destroyed at all costs. Even the Prime Directive is a... This is General Order Zero, (laughs) and it supersedes even the Prime Directive. (laughs) It's like, well, that's dumb. It's very, very dumb. Uh, Yeah, just flipping into execution. If this is supposed to be a parallel with anything in real life... Wait a minute. How many points did you give it? Four. If this is supposed to be a parallel with anything in real life, like nuclear weapons or like cloning or genetic alteration or whatever else people are scared of, AI, I don't know. They do a real Star Trek on it and make the problem so unrecognizable that you can't make a good analogy. (laughs) Yep. Uh, This episode is an unfortunate mix of religious fanaticism and anti-science messaging. Some people are like... I see God, bro. And others are like, fucking science. You did it again, Oppenheimers. <laughs> um, no diplomacy is attempted with these aliens. As always, Starfleet comes away with another enemy. Just fucking undefeated in the Delta Quadrant. Everyone's an enemy. Yeah, they didn't even attempt to explain to these guys why they were taking and destroying these particles. Nope. General Jerry's order. Like, you can't have them back. General Order Zero says, shoot whoever tries to stop you. That's it. I appreciate trying to give Seven something to care about, but it's a real clunker. She loves this particle so much, man. It's her god. It's it's extremely dumb. Well, yeah, all right. It's, it's dumb. Fine. It seems illogical in a way that would piss her, the character, off. Yeah. All that said... It wasn't the worst hour of television I've ever seen. This is like sometimes when you say the TV production parts were fine. It's just nothing about the episode made a ton of sense. I gave it a three. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. Um, Ben's only a two. He, I don't know. Yeah, he says, wait, aren't they warning those two ships to warp out? No, they are not. (laughs) Those guys are never warping anywhere. (laughs) Yeah. And the yeah, molecule yeah. stabilized, whatever, but still the gravimetric tor- torpedo works. If that's the case, why didn't they just do that in the first place or shoot two of those torpedoes or whatever? Yeah, I agree. Uh, regarding this episode, hmm. 
I think it is a b- better TV decision to that Seven has to destroy this thing that she's been searching for, but it kind of doesn't seem like something that the Seven of Nine we've seen clashing with Janeway every single week would do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of wanted her to because I'm sick of that. Like, well, it doesn't make any sense. It makes Janeway look... Biz- I mean, just like a crazed person who has no control but won't do anything and i don't know yeah she doesn't come off ever seeming um like a good leader just kind of petty and willing to get down in the mud with everybody and we already know her as a space pirate so i guess it sort of tracks but like yeah. yeah the uh the loose ends get tied up ridiculously quickly in this one like what's gonna happen to this civilization how does Janeway know they're not just going to try again? Or is she just she just counting on being too far away for the ship's sensors to detect it so yeah. she won't have to deal with it the next time? Like The computer won't give her any more orders. It does not feel like a solved problem, but she just wraps it up with a captain's log and goes to the holodeck. Uh, I wish someone had discussed what losing warp capability would mean, either for the Federation or for Voyager. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can use my imagination, but what does it mean to these characters? Like, what would that be like for them? I know that no one has fleshed out how the economy and culture work and what would it mean if these planets were suddenly isolated again. But, uh, yeah, you know, no one gets a minute into it. with it. Yeah, yeah, it's true. They leave you to assume all of these things. They'd say over and over again, we'll never be able to use warp again. And it's like, okay, well, I guess that would mean you'd be stranded here, but, like, you're just 100 people, so does it matter? Yeah. Also, it's bad TV that you give Seven of Nine a scene with the only religious character on the show, and he doesn't have anything to say. (laughs) Well, that's Jocko for you. When does he ever? It's just, uh, that if that scene had ended with her saying, this was fruitless, I would have said, ah, there we go. (laughs) Extra points. Extra points. Characterization Um, points, at least. But like you said, um, I was expecting even worse. This actually is not that bad an episode to watch, despite the sort of extremely contrived plot and super quick resolution, um, and the fact that we've never heard anything about this before. Uh, I gave it as many as four. Okay. Uh, what about world building? For again, um, the Omega Molecule, the Omega Directive, kind of free energy space, damage to subspace. Uh, Voyager apparently has a bomb, can make a bomb that's, uh, maybe it's not big enough to blow up a planet, but you'd think Tuvok would have corrected Harry Kim when he said that, if it wasn't. <laughs> that's true, he would have told him he was exaggerating. Uh, and it's about the size of a pomelo, so it's like, <laughs> what's? The, hey, is that on the fruit bracket? It's not on the fruit bracket. That's too bad. I mean, we'll we'll cover pomelos alongside grapefruits, which are on the fruit bracket. Okay. Uh. Uh. Yeah. Oh, and uh, Borg religion. That's not great. No. It doesn't. It's not well explained. It doesn't make sense with what we know about them. And I have more questions about it later, but uh. I think that this is at least, this definitely expands the universe a little bit, even if it's not perfect. I gave it a four. Okay. Uh, ben was higher than that, even to give it a six. Some things I pulled out. Calto seems impossible. He's not wrong. 
<laughs> you just kind of you put the little rod near the game and then it just like snaps it into place and I, either you win or lose i don't know what it means or how it works this dipshit played it all night though like it was a game of civ 2 and he's <laughs> like oh, what it's six in the morning i better go on my duty assignment a fucking test today <laughs> what bro if you and he was in his uniform did he never go home he just went straight from nah, one he shift just fucking got off work went down to, <laughs> to the Neelix's? fucking thing and then to neelix and then played played kalto with tuvok all night <laughs> what's, how what's patient up with must tuvok? tuvok be yeah. tuvok what are you doing buddy Shouldn't you end this at some point? Just be like, yeah. Having some kind of internal monologue about how he's being a cultural ambassador here (laughs) and he needs to give Harry Kim the time to learn to play this dumb game. Uh, I mean, I'm kind of glad they didn't show us because it would have been a thing where Tuvok was desperate to win, but he couldn't pretend, he couldn't, he had to pretend like he wasn't. So he'd be like, oh, this isn't a good use of our time. But then like Harry Kim would go, well, then quit. And then Tuvok would make an excuse. And that would be a terrible scene. Yeah, I didn't um, like hearing you describe it, frankly. <laughs> and, uh, ben also said that it becomes necessary to brief fucking Ensign Kim. They forgot he's the lowest of the low. Even O'Brien would boss him around if he were uh, <laughs> if he were on the ship. Uh, a captain can rescind the prime directive, at least under these Omega directives. Um, I don't know, some other stuff. Uh, let's see what I got. I called Kalto Vulcan Reverse Jenga. It yeah. looks like you're building a thing, but for some reason it's hard to do it. Well, the, the actual game is very much like Jenga, but uh, Tuvok lost the box that's the exact right shape that you just put <laughs> the pieces into before you set it up. So he's pretending this is the game. Yeah, no one can question him on it. Um, why does Janeway, when she's at the computer, have to specify her security clearance level? Shouldn't her code be enough for the computer? Uh, that's a good question. She enters like a if long she says, code, and then she says security level 10 or whatever. It's like the computer, she knew, she's had this interaction before, and she knew the computer was going to say, and if you'd wished, if you wish to view the file. <laughs> I would. And I guess I would. <laughs> um, Seven knows about the Omega Directive because of that combination of stealing it from Starfleet personnel and eidetic memory. Um... Erythrazine used to treat severe theta radiation poisoning. Harry Kim heard if you blow up a classic protostar or whatever, hell, if you blow it up hella good, a magic wormhole will appear. This is the bad version of the scene where Guinan wants to know the rumor about herself, and Wesley starts saying, well, they say you're from... <laughs> Well, obviously, that's the best version of that scene ever. Everything's going to be worse than that. <laughs> Let's say you're from Novacron and... Uh... <laughs> right. Harry Kim is trying to give this fucking juicy rumor about a Class 6 protostar. <laughs> Even Tuvok can't get hard for it. No, he does not give a shit. Um, everything about Omega. Um, the Borg worked their way through 13 sentient species trying to figure out what Omega was. Um... Uh, Starfleet scientists think it might have been part of the Big Bang. Who's this blue uniform chick on this medical rescue away team? They got another doctor it's, they've been hiding? It's a real fucking good question because Janeway tells Teeps to come along because mm-hmm. they need a field medic. Then there's a fucking blue uniform lady with a medical tricorder treating people. And it's like, well, did he need Tom Paris then? <laughs> it seems like she's a part-time nurse like TP, but she's in the sciences in some way. I don't I bet she's got a better attitude, too. Yeah, I don't know why TP's constantly getting dragged into this. 
Isn't the doctor's opinion of Tom Paris that he's not very good at his job? It was until last week when Steth flattered flattered him so much. Um, and I think even though they all figured out that that was not Tom Paris, the doctor has not revisited that great moment. Uh, yeah, has very little motivation to... Uh, Investigate that? Yeah, to, to sort of uh, g- reflect on that and decide whether that flattery was real. <laughs> you know, just because Steth said it doesn't mean it's wrong. Um. Uh, let's see everything about the new civilization who ran out of gas or whatever. Um, there's stuff in here, and we are told it is very important. But like, if I was watching this the first time, I would think the chances of this ever coming up again would be pretty close to zero. That's how I feel about it. So I only gave it as much as the standard three, actually. <clears throat> What about uh, characterization? Ah, the, the great part of Voyager every time. Um, Seven keeps a daily log. I mean, it is Voyager's second best scoring category. I don't know. Is Voyager a point behind Enterprise in this department? Yes. but <laughs> Voyager scores are so low. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things where I think world building is everybody's worst score, so you kind of have to throw that out. And then, yeah. I don't know, characterization may be everybody's second worst i don't know you I'm, i'd have to look at landrew look voyager scores are so far behind the other four series that they have the lowest score in every category yeah <laughs> there's not like there's one where they're good but the yeah characterization yeah. is the second best of theirs so all right um anyway it's going to be annoying if we keep getting these daily logs from seven we already have like helmsman's log and fucking doctor chief medical officer's log and fucking every variation of this shit this fucking log makes no sense too because it's like just calendar items and if she keeps a calendar why Why does she she need the log the log the paragraph version yeah uh outlook uh can you make this calendar a paragraph today that would be great thank you Uh, definitely when i start my work day i do look at my calendar just Mm -hmm. to remind myself what's coming up but i don't say it out loud or type it to anyone it's also, this wasn't handled the same, like, we always just get a voiceover for the log. Instead, we had to watch her record it with her mouth. Yeah. Which was pretty weird. Um, she thinks Omega is the shit, so of course that puts her at odds with Janeway. Represents perfection. Is Seven the second highest ranking person on the ship? Right now, it sure seems that way. She would be number one, except Janeway is stubborn enough that she doesn't do whatever seven says but i think everyone else on the ship would just go whatever you say i mean everyone would have eye lasers by now for sure (laughs) yep uh she uh yeah she gives everybody new designations she makes lots of threats to janeway about how she could just do the damn thing if she wanted she's shaken by her religious experience schmalis is making seven read dickens Twice in this episode, Shmullis tries to stand up to somebody, but is overawed each time. Yeah. <laughs> Janeway and Seven both overwhelm him. Uh, Harry Kim must not want to be alone in his quarters. He plays Kalto all night before a duty shift. I thought he had the hots for Seven, but it seems like in this one he, he thinks she's a dumb jerk. So. Well. Maybe because he got demoted. Well, he's probably been hanging out on uh, men's rights subreddits. and <laughs> For sure. Oh, for sure. Oh, man. 
that guy is 100% hanging out there. He's mad at her from that one time when she ordered him to take off his uniform. And he, <laughs> he was too scared. He was, too, he was afraid. Do you remember the episode where he had, he had to fight those ladies with sticks? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that probably haunts him too. Yeah, he probably thinks about that. Hey, he's probably got a pretty messed up attitude towards sex by now, huh? Yeah, he probably feels worse about women than Scotty does. Um, Let's see. Sorry, was he the one who fell in love with the holodeck program? Yes, he did. He fell in love with the uh, windsurfing instructor? I don't remember what she was. Yeah, that feels right. <sighs> was he the one who fell in love with the lady on the outpost? Or was that someone else? Uh, I thought that was Schmollis. Maybe it was Schmollis. Like the lady who turned out to be a real fucking 80s thriller creeper. Was it fucking Chakotay? Who was it? I don't remember now. Maybe I'm yeah. just conflating the two episodes. That one sucked. Um, God, there are so many bad, forgettable Voyagers. Not Silverblood, though. That one was great. We'll get there one day. I know. When we saw it, it was really good. Um, Chakotay <laughs> considers Janeway his closest friend. So suck it, everyone on the Maquis crew. You were replaced from fucking day one of this show. Uh, Janeway is very cool when Seven loses her temper, as always. Um... But in this episode, Janeway believes science should have limits. Look at the great scientist, Janeway. Just a four for me. I could see worse even, so. It's a four for Ben, too. He points out that Seven definitely believes she is the smartest human alive. Just because of eidetic yeah. memory, too. like Because yeah. of her Borg memories, yeah. There's some people with eidetic memory. I mean, Gary's son has it. <laughs> well, so what? <laughs> um... Yeah, but don't you don't you worship that kid at least a little bit? He's pretty great. Okay. <laughs> it's pretty great the way uh, he looks out the window and stares at the cars going over the bridge and goes, where do they all go? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and Gary just goes, I don't know. I'm Gary. I don't know anything. So. Uh, it's a four for you. It's a four for Ben. It's a four for me. Mm. Uh, Wood makes a very unsatisfying argument for following this directive. Even though she's asked point blank, she makes... She makes, like, no attempt, no effort to reconcile her normal let's stop and investigate everything mm -hmm. approach and this thing. She's just, like, she just tells Tuvok the final frontier has limits, and it's, like, I don't know, man. Make this one soul-searching for Janeway, the character who, of all Starfleet captains we've seen, would most be interested in this phenomenon. Yeah. And you know what? I forgot I didn't write down that she literally phrased it like that about the final frontier so that, like, it seemed like she was in the know. Oh, yeah. She knows she's on Star Trek this week? Yeah. Um, she does a better job than usual with Seven at the end of this one, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, at least, at least she recognizes what's going on within Seven when she tells her, you know I'm not trying to prevent you from finding perfection. Right. Yeah, so. this was the best job she's done when they had a disagreement, for sure. So I guess she's learning to be a dad a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, Chicote is such a blank. <laughs> he would do anything to find his gods. How about some detail? Maybe a time when he had to balance his duty and his religious feeling. Maybe maybe some way that that led him to sympathize with the Maquis or, <laughs> you know, just anything. Anything from him. If he could offer anything, it would be hot right now. Like she, yeah, exactly. Any help here would be hot. 
is what she is saying to him <laughs> in that scene. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'd do anything. So <laughs> just, I'll tell Janeway what you said, but don't expect nothing. He's like some kind of sociopath. Like he just apes things that he thinks people are going to want to hear. But there's nothing. There's absolutely nothing in there. He's like, oh, I don't know what it's going to make her feel like I'm listening to this. Yeah, no, I'd, yeah. Do, I'd do anything. <laughs> For sure. But that's it, man. Well, I think he's afraid if he talks about it more, he's going to have to give up what tribe he's in, finally. And uh, that's right. He's finally have to give it up. <laughs> the writers are not prepared to say anything more than no. Indian. No, they're trying, very, because they don't want to do any research. <laughs> not about ben, boring they Indians. Know they would get it wrong. Yep. He does not want to. Uh, he can't ever go into any detail mm-hmm. about his beliefs or his people. Seriously, fuck Chaco. Uh, Man, if he just dropped out of the show and they never explained it, if he just pulled up... Oh, what was the name of the girl from Family Matters? If he just went up, Judy, if he went upstairs and never yeah, came sure. back, no one would fucking know. Sorry. Uh, I mean, it, I mean, Kes just turned, just became. Why doesn't Chicote become? <laughs> That'd be cool if they forgot they already did that. And he got pushed some, him another 10K. He got some cool powers and launched him across the galaxy. Uh. They just do the normal Voyager shit where he'd be like, I've been working with Tuvok on my telepathic <laughs> abilities. for, And we were like, All right, we didn't see any of that, but okay. Yeah, we thought you guys were arch, arch enemies, and also we didn't know you had any telepathic abilities. But yeah, yeah I mean, I guess. Is, that, is it like that back massager you used to go on <laughs> a Vision Quest? It's Vision Quest tech that he fucking uses all the time. Yeah, uh, Harry Kim, like you said, just sucks this week. Yeah, well, always. He just sucks. Yeah. Uh, if he wants, by the way, he wants to gossip, but he doesn't go and talk to Neelix. Does seem like he'd be down for it. Uh, I don't understand whether these feelings are emerging in Seven of Nine because she is breaking away from Borg indoctrination, or if this is how all Borg feel. Yeah, uh, I also don't understand why she picked. Da Vinci's workshop to come and ruminate on religion. Oh, you know why. I mean, I know it's because that set was still yeah, standing. Because it's built. Yeah. It was embarrassing. She was in there and I'm like, ah, oh, for real? And she's like, oh, I made I made Leonardo get the fuck out. And it's like, yeah, yeah we all and know. What Joey comes in and goes, uh, I know we I know we're not paying John Reese Davies to appear again, <laughs> so where where is he? We didn't I, just I dis I deactivated him. <laughs> we, we didn't leave him on that planet? Oh yeah, we, we did bring him back. That's right. Um, this like in universe, there's no explanation for this being her choice. No, no. One one place she definitely could have done in the holodeck is right back in Cargo Bay Two, staring into that fucking thing. Yeah, <laughs> computer recreate another, another the events thing for which of... the set and prop still existed for sure. <laughs> yeah, recreate the events of three hours ago, computer. Uh, we know this is standard procedure. Yes, but Chicote made Neelix relive his own death <laughs> in the episode where he knew what he had to do. He eventually learned and knew what he had to do after he saw that. <clears throat> yeah, so anyway, it's a three and not a four. I'm sorry, that bothers me now. <laughs> now that I've thought about it a little more. Like, just a little more. Yeah. Yeah, you shouldn't think about Voyager for too long. It's bad for oh. Voyager. Voyager never comes out looking good when you think about it for a long time. Ben's got just a couple of quick hits. <clears throat> he says he hasn't been doing worst actor nominations lately, but obviously it's Chakotay. <laughs> I was going to see if you agree. Uh, well, 
Uh, I no, but only because there were some aliens in this uh, one okay. this week. Yeah, and I just have a few quick hitters. Uh, have we ever seen anyone use their communicator to make a log entry before? No, I don't think so. No, right? First of all, they've never bothered to show us how. It's yeah. just heavily implied that Kirk's just doing it right there on the bridge. And uh, I don't know, maybe one time he does push a button. To I do think one, huh? in TOS we see Kirk push his little hand rest. Yeah, to do it. Anyway, Seven hits her communicator to start this log entry, probably because there aren't computers in that cargo bay set that she could have done it on. I don't know. Which um, which member of the Borg Collective is responsible for like sitting down? and having a think about why they're so interested in this molecule. <laughs> like, who decided that they like it because it's the ultimate in harmony and just like them? Who are the big Borg thinkers, is what I'm asking. It's a super good question. When did they have time to come up with this theology? Yeah. Either the Borg are a collective consciousness, or there's a queen. So maybe it was her. It's very unclear in Star Trek how the Borg work. In, in what sense is... Six of ten more efficient than Ensign Kim. I think that's pure power play on Seven's part. Yep. Yeah, she's tired of doing it their way. The Borg called this particle particle zero one zero. Yeah. That's binary for two. Yep. Yeah, well <laughs> I, I mean, mean Omega is a dumb name, but it's symbolic. Yeah. As good as this particle is, it's just not number one. Two just two. It's just particle two. <laughs> Uh, and then, uh, Tom Paris doesn't want to go down into the atmosphere, but, uh, I don't think there's any atmosphere 5,000 kilometers up. This is another Twilight Zone thing where no one looked up any distances. Uh, nope. For what it's worth, uh, the international definition of where space begins, like you become, officially become an astronaut at 100 kilometers. <laughs> so this is another 50 times farther than that. Yeah, it's just some shitty moon. I, I don't imagine it would have, like that good, also, good atmosphere way up there voyager can fucking land on a planet why sometimes why can't they sometimes they land just for dramatic reasons yeah why why come they can't go down to five thousand it doesn't matter yeah i give best actor this week to janeway that's not that common yeah. but no one else has acting scenes so it's tough and i gave worst actor to pick an alien <laughs> they weren't good um, I only had one quick hitter. 300,000 square kilometers were blown up on that planet, but the lab yep. itself is standing. And survivors. <laughs> and the, their survivors and the test chamber is intact. So, yep. what happened again? I don't know. The Borg made one particle for one trillionth of a second, and it blew up 29 Borg ships and killed 600,000 drones. <laughs> These guys have made hundreds of of particles they seem or thousands or millions some it's unclear of them seem to blow up but like everything eh, is basically cool except it wasn't it was very badly explained what happened there yeah it was like uh it was definitely less bad inside that lab than the beirut warehouse explosion yes yes exactly <laughs> like God. the place was not a crater yeah that was intense video that was a big one that was a big one, for sure. Yeah. <sighs> That's it, man. Enough Voyager. Third place last week was TNG. Oh. This week we watched First Contact. 
A man is brought into an alien hospital with a serious head wound, but the doctors soon become more concerned with his anatomical anomalies, and we zoom in on the face of Commander Riker in alien makeup. I thought it was our dad. I was confused. It was weird. What was he doing there? Yeah, I didn't like it. You're not supposed to be there, Dad. Dad, why aren't you at home with Mom? Huh. He tells the doctors that his name is Rivas Jakara, but he says it in a way... That does not sound natural. That's all I'm going to say <laughs> about it. He says it the way he says all alien things. Yeah. Um, that he has no family, and he has a number of genetic irregularities, but his regular-ass doctor at home on the southern continent would know all about it. He doesn't know the name of that continent, I guess. <laughs> I don't... This is also the guy that, that sometimes just calls it Klingon Homeworld, or... <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I just feel like uh, if someone said, oh, I'm from the eastern continent, I'd say, What? What do you... East of what? What huh? do you mean? <laughs> What's that mean? Uh, they've got his phaser, but they don't have his communicator. That was lost in the riots that he was caught up in, so he can't get home. Hmm. Uh, one of the doctors thinks all the recent space flights have attracted creatures from outer space and wants to call Central Security, and spoiler alert, this is exactly true. Yeah. Um, we see Minister Marasta Yale briefing Chancellor Durkin on a proposed mission to break the light barrier within the next year. I appreciate you introducing all of the characters with their titles and names. Yeah, thank you. They don't get introduced yet, but I can't <laughs> pretend like I don't know them. Uh, and his real conservative security minister, Krola, thinks they're moving too far, too fast, but this guy's like, nah, we're... We're ready for this. I, the, the people have followed me this far. I'm like a real charismatic forward-thinking leader, so... Yeah. We'll be cool. It's all going to be cool. Um, but when uh, Marasta gets back to her office, Picard and Troy beam in yeah. and formally make first contact. Um, and when she thinks she's being, like, fucking mega-pranked, because she does not explain how they could have done the transporter thing that one seems pretty wild yep uh they beam her up to the ship this is picard's move whenever he meets a woman from a less developed planet He's, he knows it's justice or watchers or uh yep the movie first contact also <laughs> yep uh, uh <laughs> by the way i did warn marjan that this is going to happen to her someday because she works all those late nights in lab by herself oh for sure so an alien will definitely just fucking zop in right behind her and then take her up to look out a window at the earth so but they'll say something like well we knew you were the right one to talk to because where is everybody else how come nobody's getting any work done <laughs> just you in here we beamed into three different labs there was nobody uh, anyway, Picard also drops the news on her that, um, uh, there have been spies among her people for years. Yeah. And, uh, she's more or less cool about it, but the only reason he even told her that was because they need to find Riker. Mm -hmm. And she says, all right, here's the deal. Let's go meet Chancellor Durkin. Do not tell him about the spies, please. Yeah. Because he'll send Krola after Riker and that ain't going to be a good look. Meanwhile, at the hospital, the this head doctor, whose name I did not write down. I, they may say it. I don't remember it. Uh, it's having a real hard time keeping all these rumors 
quiet. Yeah. Uh, but he's got a big problem, which is that nothing Riker told him is true, and he half believes that Riker's an alien himself, and he goes and basically tells Riker this. Uh, Marasta brings Captain Picard to meet Durkin. Just like, and just walks him through the waiting room, too. <laughs> they do not there's, there's a fucking there. guy calls in and says, they're already here to see you, and it's like, that guy kept it real cool. He didn't say, hey. He saw Picard's dome <laughs> and, like, all his fingers. And he was like, oh. He didn't say, I'm definitely not letting you in to see the fucking, what's his, what is he, Chancellor, Prime Minister? What's his title Chan- again? He's Chancellor. I'm not letting you in to see the Chancellor. What the fuck's happening right now? Also, I think I mentioned it in one of my notes, but does this guy have a staff? It's just him the whole time. He doesn't have guards. He doesn't have any. There's no one with him. In most of the meetings, there are what I would guess are other cabinet members present who say nothing mm-hmm. and therefore do not get paid. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, they don't get sag rate. They get nothing. Yeah. You stood in the, uh, you were in the makeup chair for three hours. You get nothing. You get lunch and you should be happy. You get, Anyway, uh, I guess this meeting goes well because we cut right to the bridge of the Enterprise where Picard is giving uh, giving them the big tour. Ooh. He uh, gives Durkin some wine in the wrong glassware and proposes a toast. <laughs> uh, as Marassa predicted, Durkin is cautious, but the conversation ends on, on pretty friendly terms. Meanwhile, Riker is, uh, is trying to escape. Yeah. And um, an unbelievably horny lady doctor shows up with a bargain to make. She will help him escape. Be fair, though. It's B.B. Newworth. Is that what you want me to say? No. um, Yes, it was B.B. Newworth. But this lady has a very specific fantasy that she thought would never come true. This is true. She is fucking seizing the day. Yeah, she's not waiting around. She says she will help Riker escape, but only if he fucks her raw. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Prophylactics? They ain't got that. That's not... No, 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 no. I mean, anyway, he blasts in her, and she chases a guard off. But the paranoid doctor, not the main doctor, but the other worst doctor... Hold on, I might have written his name down somewhere. <laughs> he had a name. I don't remember it. Uh, he was a real piece of shit from the start. Yeah, I didn't. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Anyway, that guy sucks. Uh, he sees Riker trying to make a break for it, and there's a big, dumb fight. And uh, Riker's got internal bleeding, and he's maybe going to die, because these guys, he's a fucking alien. Yeah, they don't know how to do His organs are not where they expect, and his blood is weird, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So now the hospital administrator has to call Central Security. Uh, Durkin is briefing Krola about all of this, and uh, Krola is, um, well, he's a guy who wears those glasses. <laughs> yeah, so the little ones. He thinks the whole thing is like a communist ruse. <laughs> And he plays his trump card here. They've got Riker. Mm. So uh, Marasta tells Durkin the whole story about the spies and all that. Meanwhile, Krola visits Riker in the hospital and orders him revived for interrogation. And the administrator refuses because he's his patient or whatever. Yeah. Picard goes and says, I'm, I'm, hey, I'm real sorry. Um, we do this because first contact is real bad and risky. Um. Anyway, that sucks. Please help. Please give me Riker. Can I please have Riker? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I know I made a bunch of mistakes. Um, you're right. I'm wrong. You're smart. I'm dumb. Yeah. You're very handsome. I'm not I'm attractive. I'm not attractive. <laughs> um, 
Durkin has successfully had the hospital administrator replaced with the with the bad doctor, and he gives Riker these drugs. Dude, uh, uh, game recognizes game. That bad guy walks into that hospital, and he just looks into the eyes of that bad doctor, and he goes, "Oh, this is the guy." Yeah, he's, he knew him. He knew immediately who the this guy is. The was, guy right sure. here. This guy. I don't know him. I don't know anything about him. But that's who I'm going to give power to. This is the guy who uh, has decided that there's an existential threat to his society, <laughs> and he's the man for the job. Yeah. Um, Marasta tells Durkin that she thinks Riker isn't going to survive the day if he doesn't give them back to Enterprise. At this point, Krola has figured out how to shoot Riker's phaser, and he has decided that he will sacrifice himself for his way of life by holding Riker's hand and making him shoot him. <laughs> it's a super good plan. And he does it, um, and the doctors find him, and he's got a weak cardial rhythm, but Crusher and Worf beam in, and they take the two guys up to sick bay. Uh, Durkin and Picard show up, and Crusher says, yeah, he shot himself. Yeah. Uh, and no one asks any questions about that. Because, uh, obviously, Durkin's like, yeah. I buy it. <laughs> I buy yeah, that 100%. I think that he did. I was going to say it before um, you said it. But luckily, he didn't know nothing about the stun setting. So he's okay. He was never in any real danger. In Picard's ready room, Durkin tells Picard that his people are not ready for first contact. And in fact, they're going to even put the warp program on hold and divert money to education and defund the police until <laughs> until it's time to make first contact. Who knows when that'll be? Uh, Picard agrees to leave, asks if everything's going to be okay, and Durkin says, yeah, 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 everyone's just going to think it's a dumb conspiracy theory. And then um, Marasta asks to go with the ship, and Picard says yes, and the episode is over, and Matt, what's the take? Mm, this was a good one. I have. Science isn't what determines your level of advancement. Right? It's uh, These guys have lots of cool technology, and they're going to space. But they talk several times, both Picard and the uh, Chancellor and some other people, about how they specifically, these aliens specifically, are not ready to meet anyone else um, because of their bad demeanor and their bad opinions about <laughs> how cool they are and how <laughs> shitty any it would be if anyone else existed in the universe or whatever. And in the end, he's like, yeah, so we're not even going to go to space. We're going to work on ourselves. We got a lot of work to do. Um, we're going to look at the mirror real hard. I don't know why he said that thing about defunding the police, but I was fucking into it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I have science isn't what determines your level of advancement. I guess it's like you, your fear of progress is whether you have that fear of progress is what determines it. Um, my alternate take was conservatives are trash on every planet. I mean, scared because of their tiny gig, tiny dicks or whatever it is. They're even actually pretty nice to Krola in this one. Yeah, they treat frankly. him like, ah, oh, my dear, fr my dear friend, you really, you're a silly one. When he realizes his shit is busted, he's like, Minister, don't do this. <laughs> he's like, my plan was garbage. Minister, you don't understand. I had a dream and I, someone said, you know what you have to do. So I did it. <laughs> Uh, it was a six for me. Just the idea that there's more, there's there's more to your society's advancement than what, how cool your technology is or whatever. Uh, ben has it as a five. 
this by the way could have been his pick of the week he has two tied for it i i didn't he didn't he didn't list one so i didn't choose one for him okay uh, he says, uh, people react to the unknown differently. Most are fearful. Riker will put his dick into the unknown. <laughs> Whatever it takes. He says it's a decent take and broadly applicable, but not particularly sci-fi. But I'm much more in the area you are working in with this, which is... I think the idea of this episode is that we're not the center of the universe and that we need to get our house in order or we're going to come off looking like real boobs. Yep. <laughs> Is that I, now, I don't know. Do you think they meant we America or? I think they mean all of Earth. I don't okay. think there's anything particularly America about this one. Okay. Um, I don't know whether I think aliens are really out there and there will ever be a first contact, but I do think we have a lot of growing up to do. Oh, 100%. So that part's I'm, uh, definitely true. I'm not mad at all. I gave it a six also. Yeah, look, if we met aliens, it would be such a disaster. It would be so bad. Can you imagine how bad it would be handled? I mean, just look around at all the regular things that are messed up every day. Yeah. We would definitely do a bad job. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, how about execution on this one? Um, so, I mean, the first thing I wrote was, yep. <laughs> I mean, there's the dumb B.B. Newworth scene, of course. But otherwise, this is actually kind of what I want. Picard comes in and starts having these big picture discussions. He doesn't have some slimy Federation agenda. Yeah, that, um, hasn't, that hasn't really started to happen in earnest yet. <laughs> right. We know it would, though, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, even the main goon in this episode is prepared to die for his misguided principles. Yeah. Like, um, I know this is a little bit the TV version of everything here, where it's not as nuanced as real life or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we're not going to have the whole series be about Malkorian politics, I think we have to take some shortcuts. So, in general, I like this, but come on with the horny doctor. For real? I, I have many questions about that scene. Yeah. Like, uh, I, did give it a, I did give it a seven, So, okay. but come on. Come on with this horny doctor. Yeah, I mean, I'll just get into it now. It's I think it's in my quick hitters or something. Did they just, like, did they figure out they got B.B. North for a day and a half or something? And they literally had no idea what to do. Oh, buddy, they got BB Newworth for the same same reason they got um Bulldog? Frazier. Oh. <laughs> not, uh, not Bulldog? Fuck. Why can't I remember his name? Oh, um boy, why can't I remember? The guy his who name? plays Frazier. <laughs> you know, the Frazier guy. Um uh you know his name. It's um he's in 30 Rock all the time. Uh Kelsey Grammer. <laughs> Grammar. Frager. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> they got him for the same reason uh, that they got Baby North because uh, Paramount distributes Cheers. I mean, I get that, but like, I'm saying, what happened with this? No, scene? they wrote this part for her. If you, if you went to the behind the scenes. So, like, this was on purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To me, this felt like, oh, what are we going to do? It would be funny to have a nasty Baby North scene where she's nasty about sex with an alien. Well, then that is that's very bad. <laughs> I'm not into that. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, ben gave it a seven on execution as well. He said, uh, let's see, uh, Twilight Zone opening with the, the doctors are all aliens. Um, I guess The whole thing is very Twilight Zone in that basically the entire episode is shot from the alien perspective. Yes, it's like, I mean, specifically, I think he's referring to the one with the big faces, right? The one where the pig faces are all the doctors. Yes, and right, where they do the plastic surgery because the pretty woman doesn't have the, a pig face. Yes, she needs to get that pig face to look good. 
<laughs> Thanks, Twilight Zone. You're, I know. I know you're making a. There's a point in there. I get it. But mm. uh, he also says that he liked that the main, the top alien doctor was principled and wouldn't try to injure Riker, because um, it, like the science minister and the chancellor, it made it seem like there's some good dudes on this planet, even though there's also a Krola and a evil doctor. Right. Um. And he said everybody was motivated and earnest, and they moved through the story as logical people. So those were the the main points for him. Um, I was close. I gave it a six. Uh, I appreciate the look at how primitive our ideas are about, like, how people should look and how little room there is for tolerance in our society. Like, he's got toes, and so do I. So what? They're ugly. We're all ashamed of them. Yeah, no one likes them. No you, one likes having them. You don't have to mock us for it, though. You know, like even yes, these... we all have digits on our terminus. What of it? <laughs> yeah, I felt really seen. I felt like I was on blast. Looking at my, I was looking at my toes the whole time. Like, what's? When am I gonna be free of this burden? <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, even these. Do you learned... want them all wrapped up in a foreskin like these guys' hands were, though? Because <laughs> I don't. Oh, man. I would definitely wear mittens if I were those dudes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did not think anything was weird about him wearing mittens until they took him off and saw his fingies. Yeah. Uh, but even the learned doctors couldn't control themselves when an alien was in their midst. Um, this lady takes her magic beaming trip to the spaceship very well. Yeah. Like, unrealistically well. <laughs> Yeah, she does not get up there and drop to her knees in front of Picard and say he's a god, uh, unlike uh, Injustice and who watches the watchers. No, she's just like, this is fucking great. Great fucking bar. Great scene. I like the lighting. I like that it's one of those bars where like it's loud, but it's not too loud. We could have a conversation in here. I would have fucking loved to hear her say like, so artificial gravity. Yeah, something. Or something, right? Like, she's on a spaceship, and it's like a cruise ship up there. Yeah, you guys don't have to wear, like, spacesuits or anything. You're just, like, hanging out. It's just, like... How come you... it's not, like, uh, computers everywhere and a bunch of... Uh, Heavy technology. Like a, like a bunch of uh, lockers and stuff, so stuff doesn't float around. You know, I was watching this movie, Alien. We got a movie called Alien, and it was very <laughs> different from this. This is not what I was expecting. Um... Picard Picard told Marasta about Riker. Her name's Marasta? Marasta Yale. Told her about Riker, but not the Chancellor. And that's such a bad fucking plan. Like, who cares what the lady said to do? You have some diplomatic experience. Yes. I think you should be able to decide this one on your own. It looks like he was taking the easy way out. Like, well, I don't want to tell him about it. But not only that. You've had spies on this planet for f- fucking years. Mm-hmm. Get Data and Troy together in a room and have them figure out whether <laughs> Chancellor Durkin can handle the news about the spies. But tell them they can't leave until they have a definitive recommendation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Don't let them quit. I, I just... I was, yeah, they will quit halfway. Yeah, that's the problem with those two. I was disappointed in Picard that he just... I like Even though he eats it, he goes, that was my fault, it's not her fault, that's my fault. But like he should have known... If you're going to come to this dude and ask for his help, you kind of have to give him the whole story. Yeah. Um, why is the science lady allowed visitation rights with Riker? She, like, follows Krola in there. I don't understand what her being science minister would have to do with, like, 
patient rights like the access to this patient it is weird it's like you do wonder if Krola agreed to it yeah because he doesn't shout at her to leave but like they also didn't enter together so i was confused <laughs> yeah and then she definitely leaves to i guess to go talk to durkin yeah but she definitely leaves after Krola has made his threat to replace the administrator. And it's like, okay, <laughs> maybe don't leave this guy alone in there. huh? Yeah, I'd hang out there for a while. You, get it, you guys have space flight. Get on your cell phone that you also probably have. Yeah. And, and call him that way. Oh, God. Can you imagine how hard it would be to use a cell phone with that fucking foreskin hand? Uh, it's I mean, <sighs> they invented Alexa real early. Yeah. They would be, so they, they have a lot of voice technology, I'm sure. Mandatory. Uh, but so you're right that it's not the most like nuanced stuff, but it is the refined, sophisticated Trek that TNG made cool. That cool brand of Star Trek. Yeah. So it's still it's still enjoyable to watch, and like I do like how Picard eats it for the yeah. in front of this guy. When he he's really like, does go down there with his hat in his hand. Uh huh. And when he's and when he's like, hey, "Can I have Riker back?" and he's like, "I'll be in touch." Picard just beams up again. Mm-hmm. It is crazy. Like legit crazy okay so we've talked before about all the different jobs Riker has taken on as this one was a bad fit for him as this is before he gets the acting bug (laughs) yeah exactly as first officer like space lawyer and fucking um what was the other one he had to do well, he wore feathers on that one planet and furs on the other one well he does a lot of diplomacy right but like who decided there have been guys on this planet for years and years? What's Riker there for? What do they need him for? He's, he's just there coordinating the like. There, these are about these guys are about to make first contact. It's probably going to be Picard that does it. Riker's just going down there to fucking dot the eyes and cross the yeah, T's, well, or probably probably to threaten them, and they're going to explain to him why they need more salt, and he's going <laughs> to be like, "Okay, calm down. Everybody knows you need salt. What is happening here?" He fucking coordinated this one into the fucking toilet. They can never come back here. I mean, let's be honest. They've got him on APGAR duty, and it's wild that they would put him on APGAR duty again. Why would you do it? I can't Without even Jordy there? He would never be allowed to go back after APGAR. You would never, he would get trip treatment. He would not be allowed to go down to planets anymore. He's going to fucking write this up, right? He's going to get up to the ship. He's going to write it up. Picard's going to read it, and he's going to read the section of Riker's report where it says the alien doctor whose name I did not catch, agreed to help me escape if I fucked her. So I fucked her. And Picard's going to go, there's a non-zero chance he raped a woman on this mission. Uh Uh-huh. And I don't want to deal with that. I'm going to let this report stand, because that's Picard. Oh, for sure. No one cared at all in the Apgar episode. It's, um... I really enjoyed the episode, but that thought exercise is why I only could only give it a six. Because I, I just don't understand what he's doing Why there. would you send Riker? And he yeah. ruined it so bad they can never go back, dude. Who, just, about, okay, second question. Who else are they going to send? Bro, oh, send Troy? The, the ship does not have a spy master. It would have to be Troy. Send Troy. She can at least sense people's fucking emotions. Send Picard yeah. if it's that important. If it's so important. Well, they haven't, they haven't seen her insult. Uh, Venerine, <laughs> also Carolyn Seymour's Venerine. Yes. So, um, another good performance from Carolyn Seymour, sandwiched in between her two good Romulan performances. I can't wait. Um, 
I can't wait for that face of the enemy episode. Um, yeah, so six for me. Um, world building. Uh, these aliens have different anatomy, and for once, people seem surprised and upset about the differences. <laughs> Most of the time, people are pretty cool in Star Trek, but I guess this is their first time. If someone came in and they were missing seven ribs asymmetrically, <laughs> which is either because these guys have asymmetrical ribs or because Riker had one removed, you know why. Yeah, right, exactly. You uh, heard about that rumor. <laughs> uh, I think people would be like, oh, man, that, hey, hey, I don't, one, these guys don't seem to have DNA. Like, it doesn't seem like <laughs> they know. just could do a DNA test and go like, okay, well, he's not one of us. It's definitely not very close, except we know those aliens would make it so that they they'd still come out close those aliens well, they have some the sequences but we also know that uh <laughs> that beverly could tell the difference between a human and a romulan right and we know that they were able to track those aliens from Vo- i mean those dinosaurs from voyager all the way back to <laughs> that is true those dinosaurs bro hey do you remember in that voyager <laughs> episode when they found the <laughs> descendants of dinosaurs who had escaped the uh catastrophe on earth and had gone seventy thousand light years and started a huge civilization do you remember the sentient dinosaurs that left earth and moved to the delta quadrant hey i feel like if we could remember the name of that episode it would turn out we didn't score it that bad <laughs> well it had it definitely had a take it a hundred percent had it the whole thing was a procedural about what do like, we think the name of that episode the, probably the fucking was? Sen- government censorship and how it hurts science and all this stuff. Distant Origin, we gave it 38. Yeah, I'm not surprised. that It took a swing. And 14 for premise. So The idea is as silly as you can have, but they, they did try to turn it into something. Yeah. Um, manned intelligence missions to determine possible issues with first contact. Hey, this warp ship? It's going to head to the fucking Garth system, bro. Party on! Wait, I hope that's not named for Captain Garth, who learned to space to the shapeshift and blew a woman up with dynamite. Oh, that guy? <laughs> Maybe it's named after him. Doesn't seem like a good guy to name it after. You know, one of the five remaining crazy people in the universe. I remember they cured it, except for those four or five guys, whatever it was, who had to stay in that prison where they came up with the best explosive of all time, which looked like a pretty mediocre explosive. The more we do this show, the less we like Star Trek. <laughs> well, it's not our fault. I'm not taking the hit on that. Uh, I seen a Bolian in actual uniform. Yeah. He wasn't just doing services. Um, I mean, it might have been. I don't remember what color he was in. He might have been but in gold. Did it seem... This is not even in my quick hitters, but did it seem like when Picard got to the doors at 10 Forward, he fucking peeked in to see if there were any aliens around? <laughs> Because he knew that if they walked in there and it was all humans, like normal, it'd be real shameful. <laughs> exactly right. He's like, oh boy, they're going to think it's a real humans only club. I think that's why he's not shy about Worf being around. Yeah. There's a lot of Worf hanging out in the background in this episode. And um, definitely at some point he told her that Data was a an android. Because she's real excited about that when Durkin's hanging around. But we never see those two meet, so. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's some stuff that happens after she goes to Enterprise that we do not see. She has a good old time. No, oh, she wants to live there, and Picard gives her quarters. And then what Picard doesn't say is, we're going to take her as far as Starbase 123. <laughs> and then it's fucking somebody else's problem. To the absolute closest Starbase, where I assume she'll be dissected? She can make her way back to Earth on a series of Miranda-class starships. <laughs> she can hang out with the descendants of... Uh... Uh, the lady from Star Trek 4. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought you were going to say 
uh, she she can hang out with uh, the oh the guys from nineteen eighty nine Tennessee dipshit yeah, <laughs> yeah the guys from the fucking uh, the rich banker guy and the Tennessee dipshit who's a Braves fan who missed all the good Braves years <laughs> he might be from Georgia whatever I don't know what he is um, uh, he's got a real bad taste of guitars he and he and Data throw a party yeah they're gonna find <laughs> some low mileage pit wolfies and help him make a memory. Why is Data Party planning in that episode? There's a Romulan emergency. Uh-huh. <sighs> yeah, yeah, I think you're right. The more we watch Star Trek, the the less impressed we are. Um, this is actually a pretty well scoring week, too. Yeah, so far, based on preliminaries. Uh, so anyway, Picard says they've had specialists on the planet for years. Riker is not a specialist, and he got caught bad and ruined everything. So maybe never again, huh? Maybe just specialists. From now on. This is the planet of uh, people Riker can't just beat up. <laughs> Apparently. Like, I don't know. They got some different anatomy and his normal palm heel strikes just don't fucking work. He levels somebody in that hospital. But then they come the after him. mittens he's got on are too many ounces. He can't. He's not getting power behind those blows. That's right. Well, he gets caught. He says he gets caught in the riots or whatever. And like, yeah, we never talk about that. Yeah. What's the what are the riots about? Is it protesting the space flight and they forgot to link that? Listen, Picard's not inviting these people to join the Federation yet. This oh. is just first contact. No, these guys are not as cool as the Antedians or the Anticans or the Soleil or any of the other people who've been inexplicably <laughs> invited to join the Federation. Um Let's see. Picard busts out his wine for this dude. Um yeah, this is his brother's bottle of wine and he told Picard not to drink it alone. It's a real shit that he's using on this guy. So again, he needs him bad to get his precious Riker back. Picard explains that it was Klingon trouble that led to uh, this thing where they spy on societies before first contact. And he says it was a controversial decision when they decided to implement it. But luckily they have not revisited it. Nope. <laughs> well, they will now. <laughs> now they'll have to. Yo, Riker fucked up so bad. Oh, man. Okay. Um, I give it a four. That's world building. We took oh, many, no, many. We were for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we uh, took many breaks. <laughs> uh, Ben's a five. Yeah. He says uh, first contact's pretty flexible. You didn't feel like we'll come back later was a possibility before. I mean, it was with the Organians or whoever. Right. Yeah. If you guys will be ready for contact in 300 of your years. <laughs> Um, oh, says, uh, you mean the guy, the guys from the ugly bags of mostly water? Oh yeah, you're right. Isn't that isn't that him? Is uh, there's a couple of them. There's a couple of these Come guys. Come back that are like, in three centuries. centuries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's another first contact where they have to fuck off for a while. <laughs> he asked if you could uh, advance civilization if you had to wear mittens all the time. You and, think things uh, so would seem aliens. different for sure? Seem pretty professional. You would think that they'd have different tools, mm-hmm. different grips on stuff, and so on. Uh, this episode for me, it's mostly Starfleet first contact stuff. How serious everyone takes this mission, surveillance, a little bit of Klingon history. The where I would have liked more is we don't really learn much about what kind of relationship the Federation wants mm-hmm. with Malcor, like. What what they're envisioning? What a success for this mission looks like for Picard. Actually, so, we get what we get. What Picard tells the guy, which is that they're just here to like ease them into it. Yeah, we're just here to be like, here's how space works, 
And we're just going to be around if you have questions. It sounds very much like what the Vulcans tried to do to them. It does. You you think they'd be suspicious? Yeah. Uh, so because that all that stuff is missing, I don't fully understand the stakes. Uh, I like you. I only gave it a four. Yeah, there could uh, have been some cool, important world building stuff in here. Yeah, but then they'd have to cut that doomy scene. <laughs> Maybe that whole escape attempt, which doesn't work anyway. Exactly right. It's nothing. He just gets more yeah, injured, so basically. Minutes there they could have cut for sure. Yeah. Characterization. Yeah. Riker is such a bad liar. Mm-hmm. I know he's injured, but isn't he supposed to be the ship's poker expert? Yeah. He just seems out of his depth the whole time. Well, maybe they should have sent Shelby to this planet. And maybe they should have. Uh, or Crusher. One time she uh, made them. She she bet her hair oh. color. Yeah, and she was about to win, and they all got called away. Yeah, it was real convenient. Yeah. Um, Picard is so nice and gentle and sad the whole time, though. That's really lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, none of the other main characters are involved this week. Beverly, Troy, Data, Worf, they all get Little League detail. Jordy yep. had the week off entirely, apparently. Yep. Did he direct? He's kind of the Jake Sisko of this season. He's fucking barely in it. I assumed he was directing because I didn't see him anywhere. <laughs> he didn't direct this one. Okay. He did direct uh, another episode this week. Oh, okay. Maybe the Enterprise episode. Okay. Or maybe the Voyager. I don't remember. Hmm. Uh, or just four for me for characterization. I like P- Picard. I don't really like Riker. No one else is in it. Uh, ben agreed and gave it a four. Obviously, Riker just wants to get home to his harp ladies and will do anything to get out, is what Ben says. <laughs> I wonder if he did think about his harp ladies on the bed there. I gotta get back to my harp ladies. Um, Let's see. Troy? Uh, now we're in my notes. Troy can't even put on a uniform for this first contact mission. No. She beams in in her low-cut uh, light fucking lavender light purple outfit picard was seriously just like uh i don't know wear whatever you want i guess what you have on is fine it's i mean it is almost as if uh there we missed a scene where she said they don't know what our uniforms look like i'll just wear this (laughs) like i get that but he knows (laughs) he does know but he just goes i don't know whatever you want and we're just meeting these aliens for the first time it's not important uh Picard has a real long explainy monologue when he beams into this lady's office. I don't know if that was his plan or she just wasn't saying anything back and he was filling the space, but he talks for a long time after he beams in. Yeah. Um, Picard takes a lot of chances just to get his beloved Riker back. Uh, and even though he does make some mistakes, which we talked about earlier, it is a good Picard week. One of diplomacy and measured speeches and stuff. Riker utterly ruined first contact with the Malkorians. Yeah. But he did get it This in. one is not going to be good on his record. He's done being offered new ships in the run of TNG, right? I think so. I don't think there's yeah. any left. Yeah, but he did get it in, so it's a win for him this week. Yeah, for sure. Um, He's going to tell that story di- real differently, though, in 10 Forward. <laughs> yes. He's not going to tell the story about how he was about to try to throw a fucking chair through a window and then a lady came in and propositioned him and then he... Shit, I don't know. Maybe that is the way you tell that story. Yeah, I don't know. Um, Yeah, it was one where the guest characters really carry the show this week. Um, But I gave it a five. 
Picard was strong enough for me. Did you have some quick thoughts you wanted to share? Oh, I did. Um, in the first scene, when they're wheeling Riker in on that bed, there is a, like an EKG monitor that is totally static, like a fucking decal. <laughs> that I, I couldn't believe gets so much screen time in that. It was like you got a toy of a medical bed. It's fucking wild. Oh, again, who would send Riker on a mission like this? He's just going to get drunk and bang a local 29 hours a day. Good one. I see you, Star Trek writers. This chancellor, again, has no staff or guards. Just an old man wandering around. <laughs> also, his office is not impressive. and oh. The backdrop just looks like... Uh... It just looks like a nicely landscaped office building, maybe. Oh, it looks like an office park, and you're right. He doesn't have any cool eagle statues that he can show off or anything. No. He's not like not that, one. He's not like that guy from that Jameson episode. Doesn't have a wall full of phasers. <laughs> that guy forever will have the best office. If I ever have, like, a big office to myself. Oh, eagles on, perched on globes, for sure. I'm going to be looking at a screenshot of that for a long time, trying to get my shit just <laughs> right. The only bad thing about his office, as I remember it, is that it kind of seemed like he was behind a high counter. Like he's, <laughs> he has a standing desk. It's good for his back. I guess maybe he does have a standing desk that's good for his back, and it's not like he's the receptionist. <laughs> maybe that was the really impressive place in the building is down there right when you enter. So he makes That's where sure he takes calls from, yeah. Takes his important negotiations down there. Um, I'm not going to... I'm not afraid to say it. I'm impressed by Riker's ability to perform. Oh, yeah. Scott. That's a tough situation. Luckily, she don't know what's what. He, well, this is he what says I'm... there are anatomical differences, which, by the way, made me think he'd researched it. Oh, for sure he did. 100%. Look, he's got, like, internal injuries, and they don't know how to heal him, and he doesn't seem well, and he's in a very scary situation, but he still uh -huh. nails this yeah, good, alien. Oh, good for him. I get it. Unless... She seems pretty pleased with what happened, too. Unless it was an Ivanova-style trick about yeah, how yeah, sex... He had, he had enough energy to do a little dance around her and then <laughs> pretend they, that that was sex to him. <laughs> right. But again, what the fuck was the point of that scene? That people are freaks? Or, that, again, that I thought maybe they had access to her for an afternoon and didn't know what to do with it. Yeah, not yeah. Not, uh, not an amazing scene. Um, Ben's quick hitter, it could never happen, but I would love to see Marasta again. We could, we do see Carolyn Seymour a bunch across the series, which is nice. Yeah. What about you? Uh, number one, I love these TNG matte paintings. Mm. Every mm -hmm. city looks the same. They are, the buildings are all vaguely pyramid shaped, but uh, all of it every time. All of the little dudes walking around in the foreground. It's very cute. Yeah. 2000 light years seems way too far, though. Uh, uh, <clears throat> what was the. They say Earth is 2000 light years away. Well, that does seem like a lot. Uh, Enterprise was at Earth at the start of this season, and isn't Voyager on the 1,000 light year per year That's schedule? A, yes, they are approximately supposed to be going 1,000 right. per year, though. If they didn't get a 10,000 year throw every once in a while, they wouldn't be making any progress. So Yeah. Uh, so it seems like uh, yeah. putting Earth 2,000 light years away was, was too much. <laughs> Two full years at maximum warp or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think Picard got on the horn like... We're going to be bringing a Malkorian up for first contact, so everyone be extra cool. No sass talk about Romulans or Cardassians in public spaces. Or 
No, I don't think like, he did. Do you think he prepared the ship at all before he beamed her up is what I'm asking? I don't think so. I don't think they did fucking anything. I think... Once I saw Troy's uniform, I know they didn't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> this is a regular day. I feel like that snob Robert would really turn up his nose at Picard serving red wine immediately after he uncorked it in champagne flutes. <laughs> I feel like these two guys might have to fight and then sing a song about blondes after this. He would be so mad if he walked in there and he was like, if he got ever visited Picard's office and he was like, uh, I see you got the uh, Chateau Picard, whatever year it is. What are you going to serve it in? And then Picard just like shows him his glasses and then Robert just walks out. <laughs> yeah, it's like, fuck this. Uh, Robert already knows about the gifting room where you could go and get some appropriate glassware. Yeah, well, there's no excuse. Um, these guys are us, right? Just with a good leader at the helm. Do you think there's any living woman who has always wanted to make love with an alien? That seems like, it definitely seems like something a man would write, for sure. <laughs> it doesn't seem, didn't feel real to me, that's all. I don't like, know. you'd have to really believe that aliens exist. And also, you'd have to have some real specific ideas about them. Yeah, like, I've always wanted to make love to a space prostitute, but I got that idea from news radio. You have it only works if you start with I always wanted to make love on the space shuttle. <laughs> that's right. With and then the Lisa thinks that's cute, and then you have to begrudgingly admit that it's with a space prostitute. Ah, <laughs> uh, news radio. Uh, I love the idea of Picard standing in transporter room three, waiting for Malcorian time to tick over to four PM because he has a meeting with Durkin. When he fucking beams down and Durkin says he's right on time, I was like, yeah, I love that idea. He's just he's just trying to make small talk with O'Brien before he beams down. O'Brien's always up for that, man. He's, O'Brien's uh, complaining about his new wife again. Oh, yeah. Maybe he's not up for it anymore. Yeah. Maybe he's already cranky. Um, Krola asks Riker why a peaceful species would invent such a deadly weapon and then to demonstrate it he feebly shoots over an IV stand with it. (laughs) I don't know what other testing he did. Definitely not enough to learn that it wasn't even set to be deadly. No. But, uh, like, if Riker had had more energy and just gone, that? (laughs) I feel like it really would have sucked the air out of the room. You had to to shoot it for, like, three seconds before it even tipped over. (laughs) I mean, you could have pushed that over, too. It's not that deadly. Even your fucking nasty hand is a deadly weapon compared to this <laughs> It's just a bad demonstration. I give best actor to Picard and worst actor to the uh, hospital administrator's assistant or whatever. The lady? The one he's trying to tell. Yeah, to keep 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 a clamp on. She just seemed like she had no idea what was happening. Yeah, she has some uh, moments where she's supposed to give a knowing look, but she gives like a stage look. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if she even got a name, but uh, that's uh, You're slipping. That's my candidate. You're supposed to have the name <laughs> and her title. Ordinarily, I suppose. I suppose I would. By the way, you sound um, you sound down. Is it about Star Trek entirely or is it about <laughs> other things? <laughs> it's probably just Star Trek. Okay, good. <laughs> well, that's fine then. Uh, uh, what was next? God, did yeah, we, so- we only done two? We've done two. Oh, shit. Okay. So, don't look at the clock. Second place last week was Enterprise. Okay. This week we watched United. Bomb, bomb. Yeah. Yeah. 
every Trip song no makes every song sound better i love it okay I'm sorry go on <laughs> i don't like talking at the same time as someone i get real mad about it i apologize for yelling uh trip and reed get a brief reprieve as the drone approaches its next target and reconfigures to attack you guys remember they're on a romulan drone right this is part two of a three-parter yep we're in another three-parter uh the drone reconfigures to look like the enterprise attacks a rigelian ship and uh gives them time to send off a distress call before they destroy them enterprise gets the news of the fake attack and uh how the rigelians are mad or whatever they're determined to find them before they attack again but the Travis has come up with a plan and no one else thought of another one and his plan needs them to have like a hundred fucking ships. Mm-hmm. Yes. So You know why? Uh, By the way, you know why, right? Yeah, because it's just like in the episode Redemption. Oh well yes, but I mean in universe, the reason is because Travis was Yeah, hoping, well we need to Tra- hey, Travis was We hoping, got cancelled. Tra- we gotta get to Travis was hoping no, what, what do you think the reason is? Travis was hoping they wouldn't take his plan. It's too oh, much. It's way too much pressure. <laughs> too much work. So he's like, I'm going to come up with something that's <laughs> self-sabotaging. Yeah, that is so much effort that they would never do it. Well, you're going to need 128 ships, but it's a great plan. And they went, all right, we're going to do it. And he went, fuck. Yeah, I think the reality is they realized that this show got canceled without even <laughs> beginning to describe the birth of the Federation. And now they're in some big trouble. They got to step on it now. Yeah. Uh, it turns out... Um, that phasers are like extra bad on andorians so even though shran's girlfriend talus barely got hit she is dying Mm -hmm. the romulan drone is adrift and slowly self-repairing some romulan senator shows up and he's mad about it he wants this admiral to bring it home uh the vulcans tell are sending 23 ships to help archer but he needs more and he knows where he has to get them from the tellerites and andorians mm-hmm. also he's making himself admiral of this mission <laughs> well he's or doing, commodore maybe commodore of this mission he's doing a real seven of nine where he's like i'm doing all the work i'm proposing all the action i'm just in charge of this now yeah uh trip gets life support activated on the drone so that we don't have to think about Wait, how long have they been there? Yes. Yeah. And because they didn't have that much oxygen last week. It was a big anyway. point of contention last week that Reed was going to run out of air at some point. Yeah. Or something. yeah, yeah. So they go to, they figure out that they're on this, that the ship is a drone and they go to look for a way to turn off the computer. Archer gives a big speech to rally the troops, so to speak. Um, the drone goes back to warp, but Trip knocks it out again. And now. They're starting to like talk to the Romulan admiral and deal with him. He does. They don't know he's a Romulan. No, that would ruin balance of terror, and they can't do that. Yep, still just uh, audio communication only. Uh, so they uh, they start irradiating Trip, so that he can't bring the warp reactor or offline, or he has to bring it back online for that, so they'll stop irradiating him or whatever. Right. Um, the all of the fleet assembles, but Archer gets called to sick bay because Shran's girlfriend is dead. Yep, she died of that terrible phaser infection. Uh, Reed tricks the Romulan Admiral into thinking he is complying to save Trip's life. Um, and then they have to like make their way out of that room because it turns out what he really did was he booby-trapped the bridge with the overloading phaser. Mm-hmm. Shran... 
uh, challenges the Tellarite who shot his girlfriend to the Yushan, a duel to the death, and threatens to withdraw from the Alliance unless this thing happens. Yeah. Uh, Archer nominates the Grisellas, by which I mean he <laughs> agrees to... he He's going to take... Uh, did I say the Tellarite's name was Narg? With two <laughs> no, A's? <laughs> you didn't say it's Blarg. Okay. It's N-A-A-R-G. He is going to take Narg's place, <laughs> and even though Shran is his friend, and they don't want to kill each other because it's dumb amok time. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The drone comes back online. The Romulan Admiral is waiting for it to repair itself enough that it can self-destruct because that seems like his best plan at the moment. Yeah, these Romulans have really developed some fucking exciting technology for the era that we are in. This ship is self-repairing and Uh it's got the craziest maneuverability and extremely powerful weapons and it's all a hollow ship too and like... I mean, I guess we can get into it when you're done with the description. But yes, it is self-repairing is the point. Uh, Hoshi and Mayweather uh, pour over this code to try and find a way that Archer doesn't have to die because he knows that he can't kill Shran or the Alliance will fall apart anyway. And he's going to be he's trying to be real noble about it. Mm hmm. Uh, I guess Mayweather remembers something from his dad's cool boomer days, but we never get to learn what it is, and the thing that ends up happening does not really clue us in. To what happened with his dad? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Because we cut to the final prep. These two guys are chained together. They get their fancy uh, Mezzaluna knives to cut pizza, and the duel begins. Uh, Archer catches a couple of minor stabbings, but then he garrots Shran pretty bad and cuts off one of his antenna, and apparently that's how it ends. Because the fight, we're told, ends when one of the combatants is disabled and unable to continue. And it's another thing. So that... I guess it's not really a fight to the death, no, huh? No, it's not. And I don't think they connect the dots and tell us why he's disabled now. They just show him staggering. Also, he doesn't like that he lost one of his antenna, but apparently it will grow back in nine months, so yeah. it really seems like it shouldn't count. Maybe he Archer just continued to choke him out, but in that <laughs> case, what was cutting the what did cutting the antenna off do? Just being that a just dick. seems mean. Yeah. Um anyway, the the Yushan is over. Uh their their tachyon detection grid, which they don't call it that, mm-hmm. uh detects the Marauder. The drone appears to be a Vulcan scout ship. This is not useful, except I guess it hides what the real appearance of the drone is for a minute. Yeah. Uh, because they all know what it is. Uh, the senator comes back. He's Again, he's pretty furious. He needs this ship to get back to Romulan space intact or blow up or something. Yeah, it's fucking election year. This is garbage. Yeah. He can't have his name attached to this failure. Uh... Archer makes contact with Trucker, Tucker and Reed. They're trying to work their way to the outer hull, and they eventually just throw themselves out an airlock and end up floating in space. The rest of the fleet has warped in. The drone warps out. The fleet gives chase. Enterprise stays and picks up the twins. Mm-hmm. Um, Archer gives the ambassador some bad news that the ship got away. Apparently it messed up a Tellarite ship pretty bad, but hey, an Andorian ship rescued the crew, and Shran and Grawl shake hands, because that's how it's done. Yeah. 
The drone gets back to Romulan space, and they disconnect the pilot, and whoops, it's a fucked up looking Andorian in there. Yeah, he's got like uh, weird milky eyes and stuff. I don't know what they were. Yeah, see you next week for the conclusion. What's up with this guy? Yeah, it's a weird way to end it, for sure. Matt, what was this one about? Uh, It takes more than a common enemy to create a lasting alliance. Um basically adds nuance to the common star trek idea that once people have the same enemy they'll just sort of naturally learn to appreciate each other this one shows the process actually takes work a willingness to understand and engage with each other on terms everybody understands i am okay with this take because it's so much less simplistic than things normally are in star trek so i gave it a six Mm. Ben is a five. Personal sacrifice is often necessary for the greater good. Or sometimes you have to Star Trek six everything to get to the undiscovered country. Which I assume is about the, the Romulan plot? Uh, like, I think he's saying Archer's risking his life like Kirk risked his life. But it seems, it seems like a different situation. But Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Don't know what he meant by that. Um... So this episode feels like a cautionary tale about accidentally uniting your enemies if you get caught stirring up dissent. Yeah. But I don't know how that can be a takeaway for anyone. (laughs) Okay. And I don't know what that leaves you with. Like, there's no good reason not to form an alliance or, like, put away your useless pride and work together. I didn't find this episode had a strong take. I only gave it a two. Oh, okay. So, I don't know. What's the more than a common enemy? that they find in this episode oh well that's where the execution comes in right oh i see (laughs) yeah as always i the enterprise usually takes a ding on one of them voyager always takes a ding on both um it's just a matter of whether it's the take or the execution but let's um let's let's keep doing it in the normal order we do it or we'll fuck this all up um execution wise this one is mostly action. There are a few talking scenes, but it isn't as dumb and gratuitous as action usually is on this show. Mm-hmm. And the plot moves by at a pretty fast clip for a two, second part of a three-parter. I don't know what they're setting up for part three, except I guess that Andorian that's on Romulus. <laughs> yeah, it's a baffling reveal. Yeah, I guess we'll find out. Um, the fight between Archer and Shran is obviously meant to invoke a muck time, but we know Kirk and Spock are friends in that one. Yeah. Whereas Shran has kind of like a weird aggressive begrudging friendship with archer yeah we know he's down for archer we we, like we get that because he's always showing up at the right time or whatever but they're definitely not like spock and they're kirk. not it's not, not spock and kirk at all yeah and you know also whatever was going on with kirk not wanting to look dumb <laughs> in front of what's her name of, in front of the Vulcans, but... Um, Which I missed on first viewing, and you had to convince me of something that really happened, because I couldn't believe it was real. <laughs> yeah. Because it's so crazy. But, uh, uh, so that... The emotions are not the same, and it ends up not quite landing. Mm-hmm. I'm a four on execution. Yeah, Ben uh, gave it a five. Um, another duel to the death between friends. Um, yeah, all the stuff we've already talked about. Um... I agree with Ben that I gave it a five. So they were right on track with the Shran stuff in particular. I mean, I'm not sure it gets all the way there. They were headed in the right direction. You know, because he's got a... Archer's got to play the Andorian way. And 
Yeah, he and Fran already have a much more advanced relationship anyway, but um, they do all real quick. Also, an Andorian ship rescued a Tellarite one off screen, so yes. you guys have motivation now too, right? Yep. And that's not so good. I laughed when that happened because I had just... Yeah, those two chodes shook hands and you're like, oh, man. <laughs> I laughed when that happened because I had just said aloud, why are the Tellarites happy now? Because like, yeah. they didn't have to be in that duel? Like, what did they get out of this episode? And then they, they walked in and said that part. And I went, oh, okay, great. <laughs> so someone in the room went, hey, well, what are the, do the Tellarites care? Why are they... Are they motivated? Um, We don't see any engagement from the Vulcans who have come to join the fleet. No Soval? No no ideas about how the Vulcans going to be a part of this new alliance? How about the Rigelians? Can we get them on this shit? Like, so I wasn't like blown away by the execution of the idea that I, I had as the, uh, the take. There was effort made, but it's just, there's, there's a lot missing. Um, who came up with that antenna solution? It doesn't make any sense to me, so I don't know. And the the thing about when you go to read behind the scenes shit about Enterprise is that there isn't any. No one has written it down because <laughs> no one cared from the beginning. You can tell. So when you go to Memory Alpha and read all the behind the scenes stuff about a random shitty Voyager episode, right. they have like quotes from two from Tim Russ on what this meant for Tuvok in this episode, <laughs> right. and I'm sure he has uh, lots of opinions on those things too. They're like, uh, this scene was shot on this day, and this scene was shot on this day. For Enterprise, it's just like a cast list. And yeah. you're like, huh. No one wrote anything down. So I don't know what how that was supposed to have solved anything, what that had to do with uh, Mayweather's dad I, being challenged to a duel on some weird planet. It's like you said, they have this scene. For, for one thing, they're doing this thing where they're like going, hey, you remember Mayweather and Hoshi may or may not have been like having things for each other in season one? Do you remember that? Three years ago? We didn't develop that, and now it seems like they must have given that up by now. Yeah, but anyway, here they are again, back together, being friends. And then they sit down to pour over all of the, the, I guess, the data that ever existed about this stupid tradition. To try to come up with a, a loophole or a way to win or get out or whatever. And you're right, Mayweather starts to tell a story about what his dad did on whatever the planet was, he said. Um, when and he, then he asks which one of these has the rules for combat, and then we fucking cut to the scene, and there's no just one says nothing. anything about that. Like they give him his standard, you're about to get into a fight stuff. Um, you hit him in the balls or whatever they say. I was forty to fifty percent sure there was going to be a code of honor where they were going to let Archer die and then revive him in some way. Well, also that's what happens in the TOS one. Doesn't Kirk? He's exactly right. Yes, you're exactly right. So I definitely thought that we were going to do that. I thought for sure he was going to die, and then they were going to revive him. Or he was going to. They were going to put a poison on the blade to kill Shran, but it would be reversible in some way or something. Right. But then this thing happens where it cuts away as he's choking him out, and then he's like looking at his ugly half of an antenna or whatever. And then I thought, did Archer know to do that all along? Because he seemed really confident going into the fight. Did Mayweather tell him to do it? Like, I don't know. At the end of the day, Archer just won the fight. He did. He kicked his ass. (laughs) He just beat Shran's ass. They they do all this work where T-Paul's like, he's been trained since a child for combat, and this is their traditional weapon. And he's like, fucking Shran's like, I carry this everywhere with me. It's my baby or whatever. Yeah. And they're all like, well, you don't have a chance. And then he just goes in there. Like, he gets stabbed a few times, but then he just fucking beats him. 
Yeah. And apparently beats him in such a way where he fucking callously cuts off his fucking antenna. But I had no idea what was supposed to have happened if there was a scene missing or what. So that was very (laughs) confusing. Why does it matter that the pilot of the drone is Andorian? We're going to have to wait till next week. Yeah, I, guess I don't so. know what that reveal means. They take off the helmet. It's an Andorian head. I'm taking two points away from the score I gave you. It's a three. Okay. <laughs> well, how about world building? <laughs> I just got angrier as I was reading it. <laughs> uh, uh, Regalians got got by a fake enterprise and their trade commission wanted compensation. They also wanted them to be arrested. Off-screen, T-Pole figured out a way to track their warp signature. So she whipped up a substitute, I guess. Uh, haven't they already tracked their warps? It doesn't really matter. She says in this one that she found a way to track I, their I remember signature. when she said it. I just thought they'd already done that in part one. <laughs> and that Mayweather had come up with the super complicated detection plan. Yeah. Uh, Andorians are allergic to phasers now. <laughs> That's wow. sure what it seemed like. Didn't that feel like they made that up in between episodes? Because she's only like, she takes a flesh wound and they're like, she's going to be okay. And then in this episode, they're like, she's taking a turn because of the infection. <laughs> like, yeah, she's huh? like, I know what happens to Andorans who've been hit by phase pulses. And it's like, what? <laughs> when did, what, what is this? Um, Jolon True, buddy. Jolon True to you. Yeah. They say that in this episode. Um, Tapau is a minister now, I guess. And the Vulcan High Command is being, like, purged? Oh, yeah. Uh, It's the fucking French Revolution over there on Vulcan right now. Yeah. For sure. It sounds scary, but we don't get into it. We're just told the Vulcans are, like, undermanned at the moment. Yeah, no, on Archer doesn't care either. He says, bad time to start cleaning house. And it's like, well, all (laughs) right. Also, what's going to happen to all those people? I guess because you carried Surax Katra and everything. Yeah. Uh, this Romulan prototype is a converted warbird. That's why it's got, like, chairs and consoles and oxygen and stuff. It's a prototype warbird, right? Well, this is a prototype, but I think they just used a standard warbird and then put all the drone stuff in it. It seems like a very powerful ship. Yes. Well, like they said before, that allowed taking out all the... They don't have to worry about people in it anymore, so now it can do the crazy stuff. Yeah, I, I yeah. guess that's what they said. Uh, they didn't say that before. I think I said that last week. Oh, okay. <laughs> in, a, in a feeble attempt to justify it. Well, I do wish you had written Enterprise, so that must be what happened. Well, things would have gone a lot different. Number one, instead of Scott Bakula, the other guy from Quantum Leap's the captain. Yeah, and then Scott Bakula's in that one episode where there's a prison that's break. That's right. Yeah. Scott Bakula turns around and the camera zooms in and we're all supposed to get it. Number two, instead of a lady with big ones, a lady who can read. <laughs> <laughs> it does seem like I, that should be actually that's kind of cruel at this point it's clear she is not the worst actress on this show no um did we miss the part where Hoshi learned how to speak Romulan and upgraded all the universal translator equipment now I guess the Romulans know how to speak English I don't understand it they're, maybe their universal translators are better their technology is a couple thousand years older right well it seems like it's definitely a thousand years more advanced they're doing shit yeah. Romulans in the future can't even do. Um, all this co-op. Well, they can't because this was such a big disaster that a senator's going to bury all the research for sure. 
<laughs> that does that's what we're told about the romulans for sure that they would tank the cool technology because of this uh scandal or whatever um all this cooperation between humans, Vulcans, Andorians, and Tellarites, and I guess whatever that means for the future, all the handshakes. and sh- There's like six handshakes in this episode. I don't know if you noticed that. Are the Rigelians going to be too salty about this? Is that why they're not going to be a part of it? Maybe their shit sucks. <laughs> did these three, did these four powers not send a joint memo to the Rigelians about this weird ship that's fucking people up and lying i assume they sent something saying it's not our fault we didn't do it but maybe they're like these guys suck we don't even want to invite them they're the worst uh andorian tradition dictates ritual combat when somebody's lady gets killed it's like the uh right of vengeance i guess it seems hard to enforce like both sides kind of have to agree but anyway you can win by cutting off somebody's antenna which Again, we weren't told. We had to sort of infer that that he loses his balance. I don't know. Does he? Because he's like get an ear infection about it. Yeah, he like he's holding on to like handrails and the bulkheads and shit. The rest of the episode, like again, there was a scene where Mayweather told Archer that his dad did something like this and you can cut off his antenna and he'll be disabled because they need it for balance and the whole scene got cut. So we didn't know what Mayweather came up with and we didn't know what the significance of him losing the antenna was. It's the weakest part of the episode for sure. Um, Like the scene, we didn't even talk about it, but the scene where Shran goes in and you're not sure what he's going to say to mm-hmm. this Tellarite. He just wants to talk. And he, and he pulls out the vial of her blood, and he oh. puts it all over the guy's hands, and it's not clear what that's going to be. <laughs> and then he challenges him to the ritual. Like, that scene's not that bad. Shran's, like, careening around, and you don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. But this scene is dumb. Yeah, I, I... This resolution to the problem is very dumb. I feel like there's a scene that connects everything that is just gone. Uh, Nobelia Prime, that was the planet where his where Mayweather's dad... Did it something. Did something. It was a dueling society. I don't he know. He sure did something there. Yeah. Uh, Dorians have a higher metabolism, faster metabolism. I don't know what he said. Than humans. Um, so they get tired easier is what he was saying. That's what Flock said. Uh, I Look, s- Jesse Thorne, the podcaster's dad, once took mushrooms in Hawaii and uh, passed out on the beach and when he woke up he was being judged by 12 giant men from every race <laughs> a tribunal of giant men of every race were judging him that's an experience so that's a story that got passed down from father <laughs> to son i want to know what mayweather's dad's cool story was basically is what we'll I'm never saying. know it's over um i seen some remans in this thanks again nemesis yeah, thanks and a couple of those fucking goblins back there. When those shits popped up, I was like, ah, oh, fuck. Are those some of them Zindis that I forgot about? <laughs> or is that some Sulabet? What am I? What kind of ghouls am I looking at here? And then I was like, ah, it's just Remans. It's, again, everything that's been happening with the Romulans is because of that piece of shit movie Nemesis. And they're like, hey, we got some Romulan stuff. You guys want to use it? <laughs> Including, apparently, makeup for Remans. It's pretty bad. <laughs> um... Trip and Reed fly out of that ship, which is moving at crazy speeds and crazy directions, but they seem totally fine. It's also, they ended up together. Yep. Which is seems real unlikely because there would have been a lot of forces separating them. Yep. 
Um, God, I guess we have to say that all the handshakes means something's happening in this universe. Oh, clearly that's the intention. Yeah, yeah I gave it a four. There's, so, there's uh, things are afoot. It is unclear what they are. Uh, uh, ben, Ben also is a four. Why don't they take the whole body back to Andoria? Why do they just take a little bit of blood? Uh, yeah, the Ushantor, the millionth phaser overload in Star Trek. Also, I hope he got like other blood because he spilled all that blood all over that guy. Nah, it's a whole body worth in sick bay. Yeah, I hope he took more than one fucking vial or whatever. Uh, like you, I am a four. The code of the Yushan Romulan Warbird prototypes, first joint effort of these four powers, and whatever happened to Talus, I guess. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You were right last week, by the way. We did see her in a previous episode. She was the engineer who was working with Trip and oh. did spy shit. That's right. Okay. Before before they were dating, I figured she. I remembered she was in it, and I didn't remember why. And I think in that episode, she implies she's got the hots for what's his name. Yeah, maybe. Characterization. Yeah. Good news, everyone. Archer is suicidal again. (laughs) It's been a little while. Uh, He thinks he's doing something big here. He has a lot of faith that Starfleet isn't going to pull out of this diplomatic game after his death. Yeah. Uh, So that's all good. Uh, Shran's a real loose cannon. I'm not 100% sure why we're supposed to like him. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. T-Pole's still soft. She continues to soften up. She even called Mayweather Travis this week. Um, And like I said, in execution, the friends have to fight each other stuff didn't really work for me. It's it's great outdoor fight or nothing for that arc, so... (laughs) Well, it's not, even like he, it's not even like they set up some kind of crazy scenario where he has to fight his good, good friend, Charles Tucker. Right. It's Shran, who is in various episodes, but it's not really a part of the show. So, Yeah, Shran should have invoked the right of substitution and nominated Trip. Ooh, I mean, Trip was in the alien drone. Yeah, so they would have had to. Happen, but, but, but I wish he wasn't because that whole plot line is dumb. So it would have been cool. That's a good point. <laughs> if he wasn't on that ship and then he could have been substituted in and we could have had the real TOS. Yeah, once they're over there, all they're doing is delaying the ship from getting away. And we don't know how long the ship needs to repair itself anyway. So that yep. is not useful. You could just say it's going to take three weeks to repair itself. We're fucked. Yeah. Um, Ben was a four in characterization. Uh, Archer figures everyone will agree to put him in charge of the sensor net, which is pretty arrogant, but unfortunately right. He says, when faced with a common threat, humans work together? Geez, not sure about that one. <laughs> yeah, Archer says some shit in this one about how great humans are. Um, T-Pole tells Archer that one man can summon the future, which is totally against the needs of the many argument, he says, and he replies with the slogan from Terminator. Wait, do you remember what he said? <laughs> I do not. <laughs> he barely said, did he say, I'll be back? I don't know. What I don't the, think he said, I don't think he said, I'll be back. That know. would be wild. I mean, he's going to go into that fight. Maybe that's what he said. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't remember. Um, let's see. We get some tender moments with Shran and his lady for some reason. Like, assuming we sort of care about Shran because the main cast sucks so many eggs at a time. I've heard some can suck 15 eggs at a time. <laughs> Up to 15? Yeah. But as like, many as 15 yeah so i like i get that the main guys suck and so shran by comparison seems cool but like i don't care about his romantic relationships no i don't like it because she's his subordinate yeah that that in itself is bad but like 
I just didn't understand why we care about this. I guess it's just to set up this dumb fight. Um, he's still shown to be pretty hardcore racist against the Tellarites. We already know he's that way about the Vulcans. As always, he respects Archer so damn much during and after this duel. Um, Archer asserts his view that all of these species have monolithic personality traits, but that the human ones are the good ones. Yeah. He's a racist. Yep. There's a lot of racism in Star Trek. It's an interesting thing to just come out and say, though. Uh-huh. Uh, his gambit. I, again, I wrote here... Uh, don't worry, it comes up a lot in the next episode we have to talk about, too. Yes. Oh, yeah, it does. Um, I wrote, his gambit to die at trans hands is such a Kirk move. I didn't even bother to change it. I, th- I assumed his <laughs> gambit was to die and be revived. Yeah. But somewhere they come up with that antenna solution. Um, Reed has some stuff where he has to trick the Romulans into thinking he's cooperating, but double crosses them. And then the fake out where Trip pretends to put them on report and they throw stuff at each other. <sighs> There's a check-in with Mayweather and Hoshi, a relationship that has not been visited since season one. It's a four for me. I mean, she was sad when she thought he had died. Mm-hmm. I think that's but when we learned. Wasn't dead. <laughs> that's when we learned that she had some kind of feeling about him. She was at least his friend. <laughs> did you have any quick hitters? I did not. <laughs> this is a big zero from quick. On just quick hitters, I gave him a zero out of ten. Ben didn't have any. Uh, the only <laughs> thing I wrote down was Vulcans have a saying: "One man can summon the future." And then I wrote, "Really? Yeah, that doesn't sound like can summon the future." Do all Vulcans have that saying, or just the uh, Cyrenites? Yeah, that sounds like a Cyrenite expression her mom told her right before she died. I give Best Actor to Grawl, once again, doing some good uh, eyes under a prosthetic acting. And uh, Worst Actor to uh, Travis having a stroke of inspiration about his dad. <laughs> you, um, you didn't give Best Actor to Marg? What was his name? Marg? Marg? <laughs> uh, Narg doesn't speak in this one as far as I remember. Okay. Uh, maybe he says something about we were under attack. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, one more, right? Yeah, uh, the winner last week was Deep Space Nine. This week we watched Rules of Engagement. Bom, bom, bom. Yeah! Yeah! Muddier! More mud! Ooh, you know what they needed to add was some timpani in the back there. <laughs> Wanted to be muddier. Yes. Uh, what have we here? A dream sequence? A fucking Worf dream sequence? The Worf dreams about Klingons, dead ones, dead Starfleet officers, etc. He wakes up in Odo's jail before his big hearing that is coming up. I guess we'll figure out what that's about after the credits. Yeah, the dream sequence is not even the most irritating cinematic technique in this one. <laughs> I'm glad we were all on the same page. We all hated what they did today. Yeah. Uh, the Klingons want Worf extradited to be tried for murder. He blew up a Klingon ship that they claim was full of civilians, like 441 of them. Opening statements reveal that Worf was in combat with two Klingon warships and the transport decloaked in front of him and he fired on it, assuming it was a Klingon ship. Uh, warship, uh, Cisco is his lawyer in this one, so it's space lawyer Cisco. And there's a Klingon advocate uh, in a long line of cool Klingon lawyers. <laughs> yep. <laughs> From the, we demand justice! 
We demand the extradition of Kirk. We, we demand, demand justice. justice. And then also on to uh, Martok, Lawyer Martok, um, uh, Colonel Worf. Uh, all kinds of great Klingon lawyers we've seen. Um, well, add Chipok to that list because add, this guy is also cool. I also love his name. Chipok's a great name. Um, Cisco puts Odo on the case in the background to find out everything he can about the ship Worf blew up and its captain in case he had some kind of grudge that made him want to go get blown up. Um, <laughs> Cisco should go, you know what, never mind, that's dumb. Don't do You know that. what, I heard that. After what I said it, I heard it. And, uh, okay, we're cool on that one for now. Though. Yeah, I'll cough something for you later. I'll think about it. Um, <laughs> the Klingon advocate comes over to chat with Cisco and brags not only about his impending victory in this case, but also Klingon aggression in the future. It's a real comprehensive brag. It is. <laughs> It really is. He really does all the good work of laying out the stakes of this case. He's like, then three weeks from now, this is what we'll do. Um, the advocate's case seems to be predicated on proving Worf was a Klingon lost in the bloodlust of combat. Uh, he calls Dax to the stand first, and we get our first cheesy film school scene where Dax, in a memory of fighting with Worf on the holodeck, starts talking to the camera about how she can see in his eyes that he's fucking nuts, but he always knows when to calm down. Is it specifically like a Spike Lee movie from 1995? Yes, because they were copying oh, that. Oh, uh, I looked this up one time. Maybe the last time I watched this. What's the name? Is it Clockers or something? It's Clockers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's right. Someone oh, saw Clockers I and saw thought... Clockers, that's pretty good. That's cool. Hey, this is the show where someone saw Das Boot and said, can we just do that? It's the hackiest thing you could do. Be like, hey, you know what I saw on TV the other day? Yeah, it's pretty good. We should do exactly that. Uh, I don't Deep have like, a cool Nine, idea about it. Let's just do that. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Is the Star Trek show that least wants to be a Star Trek show. Hey, that's true. That is true. Um, anyway, the advocate gets her to admit Worf. Uh, he raises cities on the holodeck for fun. Which I guess is yes. a bad look, though. He kills all the sand people, even the women and the children. <laughs> Cisco's brought uh, to the stand for exposition about why the Federation and Klingons were fighting in the first place. Which was kind of hard to follow. And then Quark um, gets to go up there and he claims that Worf said out loud in the bar that he hoped the Klingons went after the convoy he was protecting. So he could kill him, I assume. Um... Odo's got I it. gave you a read for that, but you chose not to use it. Oh, did you send me something? Yeah, I sent you that uh, Quark told the court that oh. uh, Worf wished a motherfucker would. That's right. He definitely did. Um, Odo has an update that's not super helpful. So Cisco asks him to look into the ship's passengers this time. Hey, is he trying to keep Odo busy? It could be. Just trying to keep him involved. I need you to go. Then what I need you to do then is I got a shopping list that I can't take care of because I'm too he knows, busy. He, he knows Worf does not need to hear from Odo right now because Odo has a second pad full of <laughs> other instances. Maybe when Worf has lost his cool. <laughs> it's true. What if Odo gets called, gets called up and he just has yeah. something ready? He needs Odo to be fucking off station. Oh. At least then he can say to the guy, well, Odo wasn't on the ship. I don't know why you would call him at I'm, all. I mean, you, so, can, you can call Odo, but you're going to have to wait for him to get back from his important work. Well, he did take off his comm badge and Baldrick and beam over to Duras's <laughs> ship and kill him. 
Just reading the Enterprise records again. No he big killed deal. him in front of Riker and Data as they as Riker screamed, Worf, no. I've seen it. I've seen the camera angles that are inexplicably from the ones that a TV would use. This <laughs> is security footage. Uh, O'Brien takes the stand and describes the battle, showing how the Klingons' frequent use of their uh, fancy cloaks made it. Uh, a clear decision for Worf to attack whatever was decloaking in front of him, but the advocate gets uh, O'Brien to say that he disagreed with Worf's decision to shoot before identifying the target. <clears throat> TNG O'Brien would not have flipped on Worf like this. Nope. This O'Brien is for sure going to be in the dock. Like, no one's going to want to talk to this guy after that performance. Yeah, the next time Rowan Riker shows up and tells him, you know what you did, <laughs> it's going to be real, and that's going to be about this. <laughs> Another worthless update from Odo, and then Worf takes the stand. Worf opens with, yes, I am a Klingon, and I would very much like to do more killing on a regular basis, sir. Thank you for asking. <laughs> Worf defends himself, saying it would have been negligent not to attack at the moment he did, and then the advocate goes after him about his discommendation, and eventually, by invoking Alexander a few times, gets him to stand up and do a cool three-hit combo. Which yep. this Vulcan judge is probably going to look down on. This is not going to be her favorite. No, she's not going to love that. Uh, it doesn't matter, though, because Odo cracked it off screen. He, he finally gives Cisco a useful pad. He's handed him some other pads in this episode that weren't so great, but he gives him a useful pad. And then we're in the room for Cisco's new evidence. The people who supposedly died in this tragedy had already died in an accident months earlier, and this was actually a big setup to make Starfleet abandon their convoy duties so they could blah, 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 Cardassians, whatever. The advocate basically admits it on the stand, which is one way to go. Um, it felt to me like he didn't know that it had been a setup. Like, like the like the Klingons were like, this guy is so fucking horny for adversarial <laughs> trials. Send him in. We don't need to and tell we him. We usually just do trials by combat here and it sucks dick, but this guy is so horny for adversarial trials that if we just give him our version of events, he will run Worf down. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so all is well. Uh, Worf and Cisco do a wrap-up where Worf admits he really was looking for vengeance against the Klingons and looking to prove something. Uh, yeah, this along. is the dumb version of the I really did see five lights scene. Mm -hmm. The advocate was right about him. They both agree that he fucked up when he shot at something he didn't identify first. And then Cisco makes him go to a party. Yep. So And tells him he's going to be a good captain someday. Someday you'll be a really good captain. What was this one about? Okay. Um, this one flirts with some of the same ideas as the wounded. Yep. In that you have to consider how your emotions about deep trauma could be affecting your judgment. Sure. Though, as usual for Deep Space Nine, it's a lot more muddy Yeah. than in The Wounded in a way that's probably meant to feel realistic, but it mostly kind of bogs things down. Yeah. Um, I gave The Wounded a four, and that's where I am here, too. Okay. Uh, ben gave it a five with... Good thing we can't be convicted on the content of our hearts. <laughs> well, this is just an extradition request. It's not even a conviction, right? Yeah, but we know what Klingon courts are like. The guy's gonna have a gravelly voice and he'll bang his yeah, crazy he's rock. He's gonna wear a metal gauntlet and smash his <laughs> rock. What of it? <laughs> There'll be some UN stuff going on in there. It's not a great scene. Um, I had, you can learn a lot about yourself when you make a mistake. 
Morph has to come face to face with his own quest for vengeance. Fair and enough. You're not wrong. Fair it's enough. just <laughs> I gave it a five. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> um flipping over to execution. I loved this advocate. I love oh, yeah. that they made him hella eloquent, but still made him a warrior. All that shit, the truth must be won, and all that business. Oh yeah. This is his battlefield. This is how he justifies his place in this whatever their society Klingon is. society. Yeah. Uh it's also an interesting idea that the advocate basically frames Klingon culture in terms that Starfleet would find despicable and just says Worf's doing Klingon stuff. You know how gross that is. It's like it's an interesting idea what he does to try to win this thing. Yeah, this guy's the Samuel L. Cogley of the Klingons. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You remember from the court-martial episode. <laughs> With the Jettison pod button. Nothing will ever top that episode because I still don't understand the pod when you're supposed to jettison it or why. I don't I still, despite the fact that the whole trial was about it, I still don't understand what it is and why it ever would need to be jettisoned and when are the appropriate circumstances. And why it's one of the five buttons on Kirk's panel. <laughs> why it's on his panel, why it's a court-martial offense, I don't understand any of it. You did a whole episode, guys, it was 50 minutes, and I don't know anything. Anyway, that one's the real Rashomon. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, speaking of which, dream sequence, the shit where they talk to the camera during the, the stuff they're recounting, it is not great at all. <laughs> it's film school. It's like all of Deep Space Nine, it's film school. I found it much more offensive than the flickering lights on the promenade, for sure. Uh, Well, that made me laugh for 15 <laughs> solid minutes, so... That was a genuine delight when that happened. That guy died the in an instant out. from his stab wound and, and she it says, fucking panned out. Whatever it should have started raining said. on the promenade. That would have been the only uh, thing even worse. Well, but yeah. was there or was there not steam coming out of a grate? Because there Yeah, there was, there was. Yes, exactly right. It wasn't a sewer grate. It was one of those promenade grates. Right. Uh, this backstory makes no fucking sense at all. Starfleet? It's like they got one right with the prophets, right? Yeah. They got one thing right where the prophets speak using the faces of the the regular people. Oh, right. It's kind of dreamy and weird. They got one cinematic device correct, and they've just fired a hundred more shots and hit nothing. Yeah, they used it as license to just do all of the things. And um, they should not. They should rein it in a little bit. I was, I was starting to say this backstory makes no sense. Starfleet is risking all-out war with the Klingons. To protect, to protect these convoys because it's a humanitarian mission. Yeah, protect these Cardassian convoys. And I'm, why weren't they protecting the Cardassians the whole time? We're told the Klingons just butchered the shit out of them. I um, mean, the Federations definitely should be using their using their resources to hire a third party so they have plausible deniability. Yeah, where the fucking to protect these convoys. Why aren't there why aren't there some Nausicaan mercenaries protecting these convoys is what I'm saying. I was going to say space hessians, but maybe that's the same thing. Maybe that's what the Nausicaans are. Are the Nausicaan space hessians? Join me for my five-part lecture series. <laughs> uh tonally Quark's whole scene is a miss. Like he's, I don't know, suddenly we're... Yeah, he doesn't this, remember which Dabo girl it was. Yeah, all this levity about the Dabo girl, and it's like, I don't... I don't think we didn't need that right in the middle of the episode. And then Worf is just a real beef-witted animal. <laughs> you know? 
Yeah, he maybe shouldn't be in command of a starship. I wouldn't give him command of anything, seeing how he's regressed since age 25 or whatever he was in season one. He's a real well, he, dumpster. He's had a real bad time here on Deep Space Nine, too. He, he, he must know he can't attack the opposing council. The one time he did anything good here on Deep Space Nine was when Oda was fucking losing it because he kept having to be the best friend of this dude who was banging Kira. <laughs> yep, that's when Worf got the bad guy and didn't and didn't embarrass himself in any way. Yeah, I just uh, he know he should know he can't attack the opposing council. Everyone agrees he shouldn't have shot that ship. I, why did they make him get worse as time went on? Why is he terrible? See when when this guy came right at him. If it had been Riker, then Riker would have judoed him, just like Devonati Rawl. Rawl. Exactly right. <laughs> he would have smiled and like, said, "Hmm, well." It should have been a trigger for it. As soon as Worf realized he was uh, started, as soon as the guy started talking about Alexander shit, Worf should have realized exactly what was up and turned it on him. He should have said, "Good, I hope you make Alexander very happy." He doesn't understand what Riker did that one time. He <laughs> yeah, heard about he it just repeats it. He heard about it later, and he's like, "That does sound he heard cool." Like, ha- like a half version from Jordy, and he's like, "Well, I hope, I hope you give my son many." Or no, <laughs> no, no, don't touch his feet, please. Um. Yeah, so I didn't enjoy Worf either. Uh, there, there's some okay stuff in here, but it's it's it, overall it's kind of a miss. I gave it a four. Uh, let's see. Ben is as much as a six. Okay. Uh, he doesn't like the breaking the fourth wall office type monologue. Nope. Uh. He thinks the uh, Klingon prosecutors is killing it here. And uh, he likes the fact that the allegations are that Worf is actually a Klingon and therefore animalistic. <laughs> but the lawyer is obviously using his giant brain to outsmart and trick him and not just using animal instinct. He yes. thinks that's a, it's a, that's a fun little... At no point does the lawyer say, aside from me, you know what Klingons are like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um... So they're taking a swing by having the characters speak to us in their flashbacks. Yeah. It goes against the established language of the show. Also, this is not even a Rashomon. No one disputes the facts at any point nope. in this case. I'm not sure the flashbacks themselves do any work. The only thing they do is they keep this from all being in the courtroom. They keep it from being a string of people coming into the courtroom and giving their testimony. Uh, but we know that sometimes that can be effective. Well, our, well we have highly rated episodes like that. Uh, all the courtroom episodes but also think about um the first time remick visits mm-hmm. when they do the uh flip around the the thing when he's questioning the people yep so sometimes if you string them together that's effective in and of itself and again i did read the background on this episode one time and i think they specifically said they didn't want it to be another courtroom episode yeah mistake like, well they have not they hey have guys. not seen our ratings for the various courtroom episodes yet join us in the future and check out these hot fucking ratings because P- uh, perhaps you would like to see that even an episode as weak as devils do got 31 points <laughs> that's right yep um the whole story is a little bit cooked mm-hmm. like was this a suicide run for whichever of those ships wharf really iced that was <laughs> That was displaying fakes because it only works if the ship blows up. Yeah. Was it, was that why there was an old Katinga there? Was this a suicide run for that old ship? Yeah, it could be. Why did the Klingons do such a bad job of covering it up? 
why did they why these, couldn't they just manufacture some names use a random name generator they exist in ncaa football fucking oh five like i think you can do it guys like they used the same ship crew and passenger names as a real accident in case someone looked into it but just a little that's right in case someone looked into it and they're like oh yeah that guy's dead he died on this ship and they don't like read the date yeah it's real bad it's not, a real bad cover-up not amazing and then whose plan was this if it wasn't Chipox? Yeah. Why would this trick even occur to the Klingons, who 100% wouldn't consider what Worf did wrongdoing of any kind? And it's like, it does feel like Chipok must be kind of involved because he lays out the whole thing that's going to happen. He and Cisco together, yes. piece together what is going to happen when Worf is found guilty of murdering all these people. That the Federation yeah. will stop doing the convoys and the Klingons will conquer these systems and establish a presence near the wormhole and all this stuff. Why would he say all that stuff? Unless he was involved in some way in the planning of this thing. It's a, it's a real good question. Uh, uh, and my point is that his whole speech is about how this is some normal Klingon shit, that mm-hmm. this is what Klingons do, and it's very normal for Klingons. So why would it occur to them to frame war for this? Also, it seems really weird to be like, you have to send us this guy so we can go on trial for things we find totally acceptable. Yeah. Right now. <laughs> um, This show is designed to keep Worf under pressure. Like a few episodes ago, he realized that he no longer had a place in Klingon society and only had Starfleet to fall back on and his poor dumb brother didn't even have that. <laughs> no. And so this is this is designed to put even that in jeopardy. Where this is like he's not he's not Starfleet enough either. Yeah. And so it's nice to see a character arc go on in this show, but it would have been nicer to have him speak about it or his emotional state at any time in this episode. Yeah, in the end he's, he's like, like slightly behind Odo in terms of plot importance in this mainly <laughs> Cisco versus Chipok script. Yes. He in the end uh he says out loud that he made a mistake and that is his hard as any i mean he says that like i did want to kill klingons but that's as far as it gets we don't talk about how he feels yeah. alienated from the federation and the klingon empire or whatever yeah. would have definitely been nice to check in with him on that stuff so yep um because of all that i'm only a five i liked the courtroom i liked the guy uh so yeah. you know this mostly worked for me it's just i know there's a better one out there where we have a little more time with Worf. I agree. Uh, world building. Ben's a four. The, the procedures of this extradition hearing, the Battle of Tongvei, um, the Cisco cross-examining himself, etc. Uh, Cisco asserting that Starfleet never puts civilians at risk, even at the cost of their lives. I, um, except the ones on the ships, I guess, huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh... We have convoys, Klingon Federation relations, extradition procedures. It's actually a little less than normal, um, especially since the whole thing was a, was cooked. So now none of that Klingon stuff is going to come to pass. Yep. Uh, so it's a two for me. And I did say at the end of my piece, I could see a two, though. <laughs> so it's a two for me as well. Uh, this whole Starfleet hearing about extradition, like I said, Battle of Tongvei, the backstory about why Starfleet and the Klingons were fighting in the first place, which needs a lot more explanation. Nobody questions whether or why Klingon civilian ships have cloaking devices. Yeah, it seems like they really shouldn't. I mean, it doesn't, they don't need them. For what? 
they're just flying around bringing people from place to place well like they don't need them against the federation but isn't the implication strongly that they would need them against the klingons <laughs> maybe that's why they have them. that's why they've got them but no one even mentions no one's like why would they have them they're just like yeah okay sure it, it would get decloaked no, no one answers the central problem with this issue which is if any of this was real why did that guy decloak in the middle of a firefight they all and when it is brought up they all just say we'll never know or something they're like oh that's no one has any answers for that. It's like, yeah, I mean, it's important, though. <laughs> but the whole the thing's about... Like, the original inspiration for this episode was the USS Vincennes uh, shoot-down of that Iranian passenger liner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. When the Navy initially but, said it was faulty gear. That's right. But obviously they've gone way off track mm-hmm. with that one. That's what Star Trek does. Again, anything that you might be able to use as, like, an analogy or anything, eventually you have to drop because Star Trek does... It's, a, it's an interesting. Trek. It's an interesting event in our history and a definite tragedy. But don't don't bother to read about that if you want the context for this episode because that was nothing but a jumping off point. Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So with two for me, uh, characterization. Um, well, I'll just say Ben gave it as high as a six. Some stuff I. This was the other contender for pick of the week if he had named one. Right. Um. Some stuff I pulled out. Good Cisco acting when he's turning the tables. I like the high preachy version of Cisco in this one. And then later, okay, he's a little too preachy. I mean, Cisco's telling Worf he'll make a great captain someday, but he only just got that fourth pip like a year ago. It's true. Yep. Um. So for me, this episode, like you said, is about Worf, but he's not really in a lot of it. Um, we learn he kills innocents on the holodeck for kicks. He's easily baited to punch his opposing counsel, which seems like a pretty basic no-no. And he comes to realize that the advocate was telling the truth about him all along. Space is scary, huh? O'Brien has been in 235 space combat situations? In 18 years? 22 years? That's so many! Yeah. That's constant! And he's been decorated 15 times, so that is an honorable tour of duty, I would say. By the way, they heavily imply that this is 235 space combat. Yeah, yeah, spaceship stuff. Now, Enterprise got about 40, and I don't think O'Brien was there for all of them, so the Rutledge must have been wild. (laughs) Rutledge was in it. Well, that's why it's described the way it is, where they're all singing Irish fucking drinking songs, and you got a you got a Ben Maxwell running the show. Also, I think we can agree, aside from season one when he was occasionally on the battle bridge, mm. uh, he he wasn't getting any uh, commendations for space combats on Enterprise. <laughs> I don't know. Unless... Did those count in his record? In what way was he involved? Was Picard giving him to him every time he got rid of a body or something? Well, maybe. <laughs> um. You have a, a weird amount of good conduct medals. It says here your best boy, your Enterprise's best boy. I don't. So what's odd about that is there's a note in your record here that says you got in a fight with Lieutenant Commander Worf <laughs> this week. <laughs> he did, but they're cool. It's fine. We didn't see it or anything. God, DS. I mean, it wasn't. It was during Bar Association. It was two weeks before this. But you know what I mean. Maybe he got in another one. Why did he give him that one? Yeah. Yes. Because his he, the O'Briens are union men. Yeah. Now you know. You know all about that. I like how in O'Brien's imagination of commanding the Defiant, he's still a chief petty officer in gold. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he cannot imagine. They weren't. Hey, 
They weren't giving him a new uniform for a <laughs> fictional scenario. He couldn't. What bring, is this future imperfect? He couldn't bring himself to that. He's just like, ah, you mean like me, like Chief Petty Officer Miles O'Brien, commanding the Defiant? When they say if Worf had been injured, uh, would you could you have taken over the bridge? And he says, I would have. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, <laughs> there are like nine other people on that bridge. Are you next Kira in command? There. Like, how does this yeah. work? By the way, I feel so bad for Nana Visitor. I know she's pregnant oh, and she probably... She hasn't had a fucking line in five weeks. I know she probably she's, wants the time off because she's pregnant. She had one scene about finding her replacement when Cisco wasn't going to be the emissary anymore. and She had to go learn to sculpt, but like she's <laughs> barely in the show anymore. She's in O'Brien's memory of the battle. She says one line. She's not in the episode. It's like the fucking the only good scenes from season one were her blowing up that guy's pizza oven. <laughs> Yeah. And it's like, she just doesn't even have lines anymore. It's so bad that Worf has come here and taken all of her time. And he's not doing good work with it. No, Worf gets worse every episode. For sure. A trend that will continue forever. <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, O'Brien sells Worf out on the stand. I hope Worf holds a grudge. Because that was pretty shitty. Uh, I hated, see, I was the opposite of Ben. I hated smug Cisco in that scene where he has the good, good evidence. Yes. <laughs> He's just like smirking the whole time. He's uh, trying to get this guy to admit that the Klingons would lie under some circumstances. And it's like, you don't, we don't need any of that. You have just the present evidence. evidence that this is fake. This is clearly fake. It's what do you, what is, what's next? You don't need this guy as an expert in Klingon culture. You just wanted to call him on the stand. Yeah, he's like trying to pretend like he's got the same cool motivations that the Klingon guy has. Like, I'm going to beat you out here. But then right. it's like, don't don't bother. It's not important. Do you, uh, you know, I know exactly what this is. Sometimes when you're on jury, jury duty, court ends early in the day. <laughs> yeah. They have to review some new evidence or something, and the judge sends everyone home at 10.30, and you're like, fuck. <laughs> do I have to go back to work now? Yeah, try to figure out what to do with the rest I, of your day. I think according to jury duty policy, I do have to go back to work. Yeah, that does but what if I just pretended court was still happening? Yeah, how are they going to know? Uh, I like that they didn't let Worf off the hook for fucking up on the Defiant. I wish Cisco had yelled at him some more about his <laughs> about his decorum in the hearing. Yes. How come that never comes up? Hey, on the Defiant, you got tricked. And Cisco can say whatever the fuck he wants about we don't kill civilians, but Cisco for sure would have fired that shot. 100%. 100%. Yeah. The scenario is so insane that anybody who says they wouldn't have fired that shot is a liar. Yeah, the, the civilian ship just decloaking fucking 30 feet in front of the Defiant. <laughs> Punching the when other Worf, lawyer. When Worf shot Echo Papa 504 mm -hmm. in space by predicting where it was going to be when it decloaked. <laughs> right. Or whatever. How great would that episode have been if a civilian ship had decloaked right there? If a civilian ship had decloaked right there. <laughs> I mean, you think Picard would have been up Worf's? Yeah, Picard would have been up Worf's ass about that, wouldn't he? Probably. Um, but punching the opposing lawyer, yeah, I don't understand how Cisco doesn't yell at him about that. That seems like yeah. you just, you got, you can't. That's not, it's just not the time, buddy. Um, he tells Worf, Worf got lucky, but Worf didn't get lucky. This was a setup. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a four for me. Oh, uh, boy. Um, 
I always like fired up Cisco, although I agree with you that that scene at the end is not the best. Uh, and I definitely believe that Cisco is a guy who can chew you out and then tell you you're going to be great one day. Because this is pretty much how he treated Eddington, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. When he sabotaged the ship and then yeah. apologized profusely. Yeah, so uh, the Cisco feels very in character with all of that stuff. Um, I always like when Worf has a chance to think about himself because it reminds me of season one Worf who had passed his psych test, which he now would fail. Definitely. I'm certain 100%. of it. Yes. I don't know if something bad happened to his brain during the time that he was dead in ethics. <laughs> we haven't gotten to that yet, but let's see if that theory... Like he's I, The problem is he's already pretty bad in TNG where we are now. Yeah, the problem is but, as soon as it ticked over to season two, shit was different. Yeah, so they, they forgot all about where Worf was like, his, my greatest weakness is asking for help from others. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I fight it for, still. I still and I'm it. still And I'm still dealing with it all, every day, right? And, uh, and then he turned into... I mean... Yeah, dude. We know what he turned into. He turned this. into all of it. This plus his weird religion. <laughs> uh, the beliefs that he prefers. <laughs> I prefer Klingon beliefs. Thanks. Uh, so Thanks anyway, for writing that line, Star Trek writers. I do always like when he gets a chance to introspect a little bit because it reminds me of when he was good. I can't believe O'Brien would flip on Worf like this. Tough. I know he's nonviolent at heart and he hates the Cardis for what they did to him, but... I can't believe he really thinks he would have done anything different in this scenario. Yeah. Except, I think this dum-dum would not have predicted where they were going to be club next. <laughs> That's right. He would have missed the civilian ship. <laughs> yeah. Or flown into it or something. <laughs> Uh, maybe that's because I'm not in Starfleet. Maybe they drill them. Maybe they drill them a lot. Maybe they got real strict, as the name of the episode, rules of engagement. But mm, um, Maybe. It, does, it doesn't seem like Starfleet has a lot of rules. It seems like Starfleet captains are free to disregard most of the rules most of the time. Including the Prime Directive, when it is called for. Uh, I was originally at five, but I think uh, you're right. It's a four. Yeah, that's... That that was specifically this category. There was an opportunity, and uh, they didn't quite get there. They did not capture it for sure. Yeah. yeah. Quick ones. Ooh, I've got a few quick hitters. Do it. We can all agree that Picard would have let Worf sleep in his own bed, basically, no matter what. Right? There's no TNG where we start with Worf in the brig. No, of course not. No. Uh, Picard would trust him to walk himself right to the extradition hearing. I mean, we saw what happened with Ben Maxwell. Ben Maxwell. He didn't even know or like that guy, and he still got the great treatment. Data going down to engineering to get his brain checked out. (laughs) I know the way, sir. Um, Yeah, Cisco, definitely have Odo start looking into this after the opening statements of the hearing, the extradition hearing, uh, for an event that happened two weeks ago. This is the time to start gathering evidence. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, there's some predator among sheep language in here that's real copy. I didn't like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, da, 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 da. I always wonder this about the Klingon military. Who builds these ships? How do they pass from captain to captain within these great houses? Basically, what was this Katinga doing here acting as a convoy <laughs> raider? It doesn't seem like, like a cult convoy for that. raider kind of makes sense as the end of the line for an old battle cruiser. Uh-huh. This is not is not critical if this ship gets killed, right? But uh Yeah, what are they? How many of them are left in the fleet? Bro, during the Dominion War you're gonna see five hundred of those things. Apparently they're still 
out there either collecting mothballs yeah, they, or uh, they whatever. unmothballed them. Yeah. When you if you could mothball battleships in space, listen, I don't want to talk, I don't want to get into space battleship Yamato, please. <laughs> but if you could mothball <laughs> battleships up in space, it'd probably be pretty good for them up there. Corrosion's probably pretty right. Uh, pretty low. Assuming factor. you don't get a parasite on your hull that maybe the Federation planted uh, sure, there. Yeah. <laughs> Cargon. <laughs> Come on, buddy. <laughs> They did not send the best ship for Riker to uh, participate. No, I don't even think they program. pretended to. It was just one that was nearby. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So every time I see these ships, and it just it just seems so inconsistent with the great houses. Yeah, yeah. But well, don't worry. We'll never get a good explanation. Maybe I should look into feudal military. Okay. Maybe the ships were always built by the king. Sure. Yeah. I should look into the creations of the English Navy or something. Well, that's always a good topic. I give best actor to uh, Chipok. There's no chance it was going to anyone else. This guy's an old pro. He was crushing it out there. Yeah. As you said, he was in Babylon 5, and also we've already seen him as one of the clones on the Mariposa colony. I mean, we haven't seen that. Wait, have we seen that yet? We oh, wait, shit. He's a clone in Masterpiece Society. Yeah. Not, um... So we haven't seen that one yet, right? Right. I don't know if I'm having a silver blood. We haven't Wait. done that yet, right? <laughs> Wait, hold on. I'm so confused. Is he not a clone? Is he just in Masterpiece Society? Well, they're all like genetically like perfected on that car. Right, so he's on. not a clone, but he's like How f- how far up could Masterpiece Society right? be if it's, we haven't what is already it, season hit it? 5? Yeah, we uh 1992. Oh, Jesus, it's week 112. Okay. So it's, you know, All right. Come so on. anyway, we'll see this guy. Yeah. Anyway, old pro kills it. Uh, and I gave worst actor to uh, Flashback Dax. Oh, boy. One, it was tough because she had the first one of those scenes. So yes. like when she does it, it's like, oh, what the hell? Then she does a, there's a lot of extraneous stuff in there about how she's a woman. <laughs> and it's like, we get it. You guys are flirting. Yeah, it's uh, going to be a real important yeah. part of the show. One. Uh, I have a few quick hitters. Oh, let's have them. This Vulcan lady only allowed this advocate to get crazy with this uh, warrior bloodlust shit because she looks down on Klingons anyway and probably already assumed that's what happened. The entire premise is racist and Chibok is really counting on Federation racism to Uh make his case for him. And so a Vulcan is a great pick because we know... Oh, they love to reduce species to single yes, traits. Yeah, not, we haven't seen any that are super tolerant. Hundred, uh, it's one hundred percent the case. Um, I hope when I'm on trial for the thing I allegedly did next <laughs> week, they don't talk about what I do when I play Skyrim because <laughs> I may have killed everybody in an Imperial camp this week, including sick and injured people. Uh, I may have run into the tent where the sick ones are laying down and stabbed them to death. Well, they're just going to die anyway in the cold. And if anybody somehow knows that, now that I've said it on a podcast and it's in my trial as evidence against me, I'm going to be pretty upset. Seriously, all that Tong Vei shit. I play Grand Theft Auto all the time. Doesn't mean I'm a murderer. (laughs) The hell? Exactly. Bullshit. Sometimes I take a big truck and run over people partying on the beach. What yeah, sometimes I try to see how far I can launch a body with a car. Like sometimes I, I try and tilt the rotors of a helicopter <laughs> down and chop people up. That's not real. 
I'm so bad when I play against people online in Grand Theft Auto that sometimes I do that because it's the most effective weapon. <laughs> I just tilt a helicopter. Anyway, I didn't appreciate do you, that. Do you uh, hum the combat theme while you do it? <laughs> well, I know over and over again I go, Vic Morrow! Vic Morrow! Into the microphone so the 12-year-olds are really <laughs> fucking confused. Um, <sighs> that's it for me. That's enough, really. Uh, uh, ben has and, this one is driving the wedge deeper between Worf and the Klingon culture, which is, yep, sort of. We were talking about that and the Federation, but yeah. Ah, uh, we've done the damn thing. We did a good job. I'm just gonna say we should get a 38 out of 80. There you go. That's how good we did. <laughs> <laughs> um, fourth place this week. Um, oh man, we wouldn't even come in first place. <laughs> God damn it. Well, you know, we tried. Next week, maybe. <laughs> yeah, fourth place this week with 28 points. Um, Voyager, the Omega Directive. Not bad for fourth 28's place. 28's not great, but uh, it's eight more than Vis-a-Vis got and ten more than the Killing Game Part 1. So Yeah, o- overall, this week is in the green, so not bad. Yeah. Uh, third place with 30 points, Deep Space Nine Rules of Engagement. Mm-hmm. Second place this week with 31 points, uh, Enterprise United. Yeah, uh, did pretty well in world building. Yeah. And notching their 35th win, first place this week, is The Next Generation with First Contact, the episode in which B.B. Newworth wants to fuck (laughs) an alien. We each gave it 21 hot points. Uh, 21 from each of us. It's for uh, 42. It's not one of the highest scoring week winners, but it... uh, a win's a win. They have 35 of 88 now. I mean, it's um, the best scoring episode since week 84. Well, there you go. That's a good look back. <laughs> I didn't have to go that far, it turned out. Yeah, that's that was lucky, because the next one before that was all the way back at week 80. Yeah. Um, week 89, in two weeks. We'll be back at it again. Ooh. Hey, With I just galaxies- saw this. Go on. Galaxy's Child. Yeah! <laughs> Jordy's creepiness really comes home to roost. That's I'm going to be getting ready for that one for t- two whole weeks. I'm just going to be... This is going to be a tough one for fans of good old Jordy. I'm going to be playing the Enterprise theme with that bow, bow, right before it over and over again <laughs> to get ready. Oh, uh, does real life Leah Brahms find the <laughs> super horny hologram of Leah Brahms? Yes, she does. Does Jordy walk right out an airlock? No, somehow he does not. When you're touching the engines, Jordy. You're touching me. The hologram said. <laughs> That's tough. Yeah, you're right. How does he not just fucking throw himself into the stream like that guy? In yeah, just go right seven. up into the nacelle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Deep Deep Space Nine. We're watching Hard Time. Another one, by the way. I assumed we had already seen. I don't know what that one is yet. Oh, so it's the one where O'Brien lives uh, a twenty-year prison sentence in a in a night or whatever. Oh, fantastic! Like the inner light, but fucked up. Yeah, the inner light, but purposely mean. Cool. Instead of just a dumb idea like the inner light, they will make them learn about our society by living a whole lifetime in it, and then they'll just go back to their regular lives. It'll probably be fine. Well, that's how I learned so much about Skyrim. <laughs> that's right. You did live a lifetime in there. Yeah. Uh. Voyager, we're watching Unforgettable. That's a bad sign. I don't know what it is, but that's a bad sign. 
<laughs> seems like maybe things won't be quite what they seem or there will be some memory issues some memory issues yeah like something. when they had when the episode coming up was waking moments and we went oh no yeah. Oh, God, no. And it turned out to be the moon episode that scored three total points. Uh, I mean, please allow me to say that the next episode after that is called Living Witness, okay. and the next episode after that is called Demon. Oh! <gasps> and the next one after that is called One, and the next one after that is called Hope and Fear, and then Night, and then Drone, <laughs> okay. Extreme Risk, In the Flesh, Why are you doing this? Once Upon a Time. So Voyager episode titles are generally pretty dispiriting. Hey, but you know which one Demon is? Oh, is Demon the Silver Blood it's one? Silver Blood! <laughs> oh, fantastic! We're, we're almost there! <laughs> God. Uh, and um, the last for uh, for Enterprise, we're going to conclude our trilogy with the Anar or the Einar. Yeah, that's a tough one. Depending on how you pronounce that A-E at the front and if it's supposed to be a diphthong or not. That's a tough one. Why don't they name something that I know what it is? That's a good question. That's like naming it Jatrell. Also, are the Anar like um, Norse gods or something? Oh, Is that I mean, the name of the Norse gods? Oh boy, that means it's going to be an analogy. Well, that's tough. Nope. Uh, nope. I just looked and no. The answer's no. No, oh, no, it, it appears not. It what, appears... Are the, what are the names of the or- Norse gods then? Uh, Odin. And Odin's pals. Odin's pals is what they're called. No, but as a collective, uh, it doesn't matter. Odin's pals. I just said it. <laughs> Oh, the Aesir. Uh, A-E-S-I-R. So I was in the right hey, neighborhood. By the way, I typed in Odin's pals into Google and something came up on Pinterest. Let me take a look here. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's a wolf. You don't see that. It's a wolf talking to a crow. And the wolf says, Odin wants you back in Asgard now. He found out what you did to the carpet. Is it Fenrir and then either thought or memory? I don't remember the Norse names of his two crows. They're not labeled. but are ravens. The name of the piece is called Wolf Love. And then subtitle, Odin's Pals. Nice. <laughs> anyway, those are the four episodes. I'm going to read them again. Those are the four <laughs> episodes you should watch for next week. Galaxy's Child, Hard Time, Unforgettable, and the Anar. Yeah, but in the meantime, we got to... I'm moving out. Anthony's because... song. I'm Anthony's song. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> next week is a mailbag. We will uh, be back on Joel Patrol, and we will is see that how all you get goes. for your money? If you were uh, thinking about sending us a project to do after Billy Joel, you got got. We got another one today. I hope you're all excited to litigate which fruit is the best fruit. Yeah, come with us on a fucking cornucopia journey. All the fruits. A five-week project. It's uh, Again, we have to complete Billy Joel. I mean, we probably wouldn't have to. We could do them at the same time, but, like, no. I don't want to. Um <laughs> So yeah. maybe like in the last couple of weeks of Billy Joel when we don't have to talk about him for an hour. Yeah, definitely not this one coming up. Because um, we should we should probably knock out this whole round if we can. So yeah, Billy Joel next week in mailbag. Please send us mail. Uh, that's at BrotherDate on the Twitter machine. Uh, brothers of BrotherDate.com for email. Go to BrotherDate.com and check out all of our shit. And um, you know how to find us because you're listening to us. And uh, I guess this is where I say Joel Untrue. Joel Untrue, everyone. Um, Bulldog? Frazier. Oh. <laughs> not, uh, not Bulldog? Fuck. Why can't I remember his name? Oh. Um, boy, why can't I remember? The guy who plays Frazier. <laughs> you know, the Frazier guy. Um, 
subscribe.